What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a hot Wednesday afternoon and evening now in Brooklyn. Uh, very excited for today's interview. I got a random DM about five days ago uh, with <laughs> our guest telling me that he's going to be in New York. Wanted to hop in the studio. So somebody I recently discovered on Twitter about six to eight months ago. Been fascinated by what you're saying on Twitter uh, and your thoughts on the space in general. I'd like to introduce you freaks to Patrick Dugan, CEO and founder of Trade Layer. Patrick, welcome to the pod. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for coming on, dude. It's Th a great pleasure. Thanks for hitting me up. Absolutely. It was a great random DM. Yeah, well, you know, you're like the the Joe Rogan of, of crypto podcasts. <laughs> so, you know, I had to, you know, you go to New York, you go meet with uh, the big money guys, and then you go on Marty Ben's podcast. Well, uh, I'm flattered, right? I'm blushing. You freaks can't see it behind the mic. I'm <laughs> blushing. Um, I don't know much about you other than Twitter. I don't know about your path to Bitcoin. I've been following Trade Layer at an arm's length more recently. Uh, for you freaks out there who don't know what Trade Layer is, uh, basically... A decentralized you describe it as a decentralized savings vehicle we'll get into uh yeah if you could take that posture or you could take the other side of the the swap and and be leveraged mm -hmm. and, and punt around yeah not if, if you're a u.s person i'm going into that but yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah decentralized uh, derivatives exchange protocol on top of bitcoin so what is your tale how'd you find bitcoin how'd you end up making this decentralized protocol this decentralized exchange well how i found bitcoin um I maybe have told this story a few times before. It's kind of a classic. Um, so I bought the dip after the first uh, the bubble in 2013 because I was trading for a while. And I'm like, okay, here's a trend, right? Buy the dip. Treating it kind of just like a financial asset. And then I was in Argentina uh, trying to uh, deliver cash to my uh, baby mama who uh, got out of there. But I'm out in the hood and um, hanging out with these dudes because, uh, you know, I figured I'd like, take, take a little hit of their the roach and wacky tobacco and uh yeah chat them up you know I, I would do this sometimes in argentina and uh you know make friends with these guys and you know we don't have a lot in common right but you know i'm like i like to be like a man of the people or whatever but this time around these guys got a, one of these guys got a bright idea right and he went he called it texted his friend and then um you know he's like hey come with me um it's, it's dangerous here you know i'll walk you to the bus stop so i'm thinking like i'm probably gonna get robbed right so I'm chatting with this guy, and he's like, uh, I'm like, so what do you do? And you know, I've told you a lot about myself. How about you? And he's like, well, I do a few odd jobs, and uh, I rob people. And I'm like, hmm, thinking, yeah, I'm definitely going to rob. And then, um, and then he's like, hold up, hold up. And his friend's rolling up, and his friend pulls out this piece, and it was, like, pretty new. It was, like, a, it was like a hand – it wasn't quite a hand cannon, but, you know, it was, like, a pretty big chrome gun. And I thought, all right, if that's fake, I'm going to beat the shit out of these guys, right? And, and he – Pulls, pulls the thing back, puts it up against my ribs. I'm like, yeah, all right, that's not fake. So, you know, I do what they said, like, give me my backpack. So I had, like, uh, HSBC bank account, which, of course, HSBC closed my bank account when I was trading Bitcoin later, right? But, uh, yeah, I lost the security device for that. Uh, passport, laptop, tablet, the wallet, you know, all my cash. Like, a thousand, I had $1,000 in the, the wallet. That's how that was the most efficient way to, to pay people back then. If I used Zoom, when is this? This was in 2013. Okay. So if I'd used Zoom, the fee would have been about as much on all that volume, uh, in, including you know what you can get for the street value of a dollar in because there were capital controls, right? So you had to if you brought a dollar physically, and they generally like the really crisp uh, hundred dollar bills or fifties. Uh, so if it's like a, a crumply twenty, they don't want to deal with it. Um, you know, you get more pesos for that, right? So I figure, all right, I'll just go and, and, and hang out with people. But yeah, I lost all that cash. And um, so I only had the five Bitcoin on Mt. Gox, funnily enough. It was my safe haven at the time. 
And, um, <laughs> what a terrible safe haven. Well, yeah, this was about six months before they went, went belly out, right? And um, so I went on local Bitcoins at the behest of my friend Adam Stradling, who's kind of an OG. He started uh, Trade Hill with uh, Jared Kenna back in 2011 mm-hmm. in uh, Vina del Mar, Chile, which is around the area where I live nowadays. Um, I anyway, and I found this guy, a local, is a hardware store owner, uh, sold the Bitcoin to him. He gave me a wad of cash. And I was like, holy shit, this is real, man. We just jumped over capital controls just like that, you know? So I kind of saw the matrix in that moment. So you got robbed and, and found the uh, the use case of Bitcoin. Yeah, pretty much. I've, I've only been robbed once in my life, and it was for a bag of chips when I was like eight years old. But uh, what was the... South America's pretty wild, man. Yeah, I almost got robbed. Like I gotta say, I was telling your wife before we started recording, I like to go down to Costa Rica... Surf, uh, and yeah. Surf and and Hako and Hako is not not the best town. So you, if you if you get somebody asking you to come down an alley, do not go. Yeah, that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah, don't <laughs> trust people. Well, yeah, you grew up like really naive and, and gringo, right? And and everybody's like, hey, you know, Puerto Vida, Puerto Vida. It's like, eh, Puerto Vida until until the lights go down. And then, yeah, well, because you know when there's money on the line, you know, then it, then she gets real. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So I got involved, um, I started trading it, uh, there were people, I was in a startup Chile, back in, in Chile, so there, I knew some people who were trying to get money out of the country, so I'd sell them Bitcoin, and then I would like, I had to call these guys up at Banco Bice, which is a smaller bank, and like, put in an order in their Java applet, and then ha- call them up so they would like, tag the the ticket, and that that's how you, they, they trade currency over there, that was the best uh, Chilean peso dollar spread I could get. Then I wired out, HSBC of course is like, uh, what's going on guy? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, capitalization, whatever. Uh, you know, they shut my account off. Um, but, yeah, I, I managed to make, you know, some points in a safe way of doing that. So I was, there, I was always, like, coming at Bitcoin thinking of it as, like, a flow business and being, you know, reticent to, like, load up on a lot and, like, take a lot of risk. What like, do you mean by a flow business? Like, For the I'm, freaks out there. Like, I'm not trying to just hold a bunch of Bitcoin and be exposed to the market. I'm trying to extract, like, a dollar-denominated yield by trading it in this like arbitrage sort of fashion, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, maybe I'm like kind of a nerd, you know? Cause I, I would make a lot more money if I, if I had more of that risk tolerance. But, um, so I got into that. I, uh, wearing this, uh, La BitConf t-shirt. So that, that was my first crypto conference back in 2013. And that's where I kind of met the world, you know, like, uh, back then it was like all the OGs, right? So like, um, like Tone Vase was there. Uh, Tony Gallippi was running uh, BitPay. Uh, met Jay Kwan at that thing. He was trying to figure out what he was going to do. Uh, he had just like finished doing Yelp's uh, mobile app and got mm-hmm. some shares. And he was like, what's the next thing? So we were talking about doing a decentralized exchange and how would you do that? Um, just a bunch of people, man. It was it was a wild time. Uh, Johnny Dilly, he was like 24 working. Uh, <laughs> he was an analyst for Pantera back then. What a character. Yeah, yeah he's a good guy. Um, so... Yeah, that was like my oh, and uh, you remember that Galt's Gulch guy? Yes, Gary he did. Johnson. Yes, so I had I brought a bunch of cash so I could arbitrage it, and uh, I ended up handing it over to that guy so I could buy his Bitcoin at five percent under, and he was like, "Oh man, five percent." I'm like, "Hey, you know, take it or leave it, guy." So I'm like, I'm the only guy who ever gave Gary Johnson money and and like made a profit out of it. Um, <laughs> That, that was my my first. I mean, so that was a great conference, right? Just bah, like, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, like uh, Diego of uh, Rootstock. Mm-hmm. Back then, they were just uh, trying to get a little hedge fund together, and they were getting this community together. So it was. I was like coming off of that. I was like, okay, if I don't get rich off of this stuff, I'm a fucking idiot, right? Like, I gotta, something something's got to give. Like, this, <laughs> this is gonna be big. And um, 
and then my thought was like I'm gonna do um, like a hedge fund where there'll be a token and it'll be redeemable and if and we can arbitrage it in the secondary kind of like our own little ETF and then I looked into it and I'm like well that's that's like super illegal um, <laughs> so I, I didn't quite go that far um, but before I got to that realization I uh, was attracted to uh, the Mastercoin project mm -hmm. as a way of issuing it uh, so I reached out to Brock Pierce on LinkedIn and I said, hey, could you intro me to them? And he said, yeah, absolutely. You know, so Brock Pierce did me a solid. Is that Willette, right? Um, his last name, Willette? Mm. Uh, yeah, who shot JR? Yeah, yeah. JR Willett. Yeah, yeah, yeah JR Willett. Yeah, that's, that's what it, we yeah. call the uh, the Satoshi increment of a, a property in, in Omni is a Willett. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it's like, you know, he, he, uh, he wrote the second Bitcoin white paper. Mm -hmm. So That's what people don't understand. Yeah, it's Mass the second one. <laughs> so it's like the sequel. So uh, maybe the trade layer white paper is, is like the third Bitcoin white paper. Oh, yeah. But, but not really. It's like the <laughs> 1,200th. And Eight million. I'm not going to lie. It's the first white paper I've read in a while. I was very white paper jaded there. Yes. For many years. Well, you know what I did is I took the Bitcoin white paper and I, as a template so I could like keep it nice and tidy and focused on like the technical stuff. So so let's talk about trade layer. Yeah. What? problems is it solving what uh how does it benefit bitcoin and what stage is it currently at right now okay so um well first off wouldn't it be nice if we could decentralize bitmax to some extent right so you wouldn't have to uh worry about what happens to arthur hayes when he flies around the world um you know you got the custodial risk and all that jazz um so that's interesting. If you're a degenerate gambler, uh, you can have sovereignty in, in your uh, in your speculations. But um, what about the other side of that, right? So my dream since like 2014, when I got involved with that project and I started poking around at how would we do leverage, and I had this realization. This was before you had like inverse contracts and the perpetual swap on Bitmax about two years earlier. That if you did an even hedge, so you buy a Bitcoin, at, let's say a thousand bucks, and you sell thousand dollars worth of contracts. Um, that you create this dollar, synthetic dollar, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, holy shit, I just invented like the new financial system. Like this is decentralized banking, you know, is what I was calling it. So I don't call it that anymore because I don't want to get like, it's a kind of a lightning rod term, especially after that uh, Texan guy. Remember that? Uh, um, yeah. State, I don't remember. This is one, you know, it was one of these shitty fundraiser things. And, the, and then the, st and he was like, excuse me, but we're decentralized and <laughs> what your rules, you know, it's a different meaning. So the state of Texas, like, gave him a slap or something. Yeah. So, okay, so it's not banking, you know. It's just sort of getting at, like, what is banking, right? You're issuing debts, right? So these are contracts. So you got the government, you know, and the sheriff will, like, show up with this gun and take your furniture or whatever if you default, right? You go through bankruptcy. You got to liquidate some. I mean, they give you limits depending on the state so you can keep your furniture. But, um, you know, it's ultimately backed by this uh, social contract between, you know, capital and and violence, mm -hmm. right? Which is like, that's what leftists like have kind of a point is that capitalism depends on this, this handshake, yeah. you know? Uh, and where, so I was like an anarcho-capitalist and then I got like a nice taste of that, you know, out there in anarcho-capital land, um, living under capital. It was like sci-fi, man. I'd go, I had a cash dealer. I had like living in Argentina. I lived entirely in cash and really? in Bitcoin for about a year in 2014. As, and it's not, it's like better to just get the ACH deposit and have auto bill, like it's, take care of it. Right? It's a lot simpler. Yeah. Like I would spend like two days a month just running around town taking care of business like that. You know what? 
So I, was right. that normal activity for like Argentinians during that period as well, um, or were you? A sort lot of, of people unique? would. Well, no, because not a lot of people were like trading Bitcoin and and shit coins for a living, uh, and and earning consulting income in Bitcoin from a ICO foundation. You know, I was like, like I'm kind of a weird guy. I've always been out a little bit on the, the edge there, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, people would do uh, shadow banking before Bitcoin back in that in that environment. So uh, you go to Guido. And Guido's like, all right, wire the money to this uh, accountant in China. So you wire him a couple grand. And then a few days later, this guy shows up to your house with uh, like a, an ankle band and counts out the cash and, and you got your cash. That's how I did it in early 2013, right? Um, so you're familiar with shadow banking? Like it's a big thing in yeah, China. Yeah. yeah. Right. So like what Bitcoin does, well, and then the legitimate peeps in, uh, in Argentina at the time, like Globon is a pretty big uh, IT outsourcing company. They've made a few video games. They would do this thing called the dollar grease or the gray dollar, which is in between black and white, um, where they buy uh, the Argentine bonds here in New York for dollars and sell them in the local market and mm-hmm. they get settled in, in pesos. Just arb that. Yeah. So, I mean, that, right. But it would, it would end up being somewhere in between what the street value was and what the fixed, you know, yeah. uh, scam value was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think that's bad, because it was like a 50% differential. The soy farmers had a 30% excise tax on their exports, so they would get... Good. They deserve it, this soy. Yeah, right? Exporting soy to the world. I'm kidding. It's yeah. <laughs> so, so they'd get like six pesos, and you'd get like 12 pesos on the street. So that, like, that's, that was the scam, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, Bitcoin is kind of like that bond. You know, it's something that you can trade and, and you know, make this transfer that effectively. Um, so my vision was like, we could have dollars on the blockchain that are decentralized. And I was also considering having dollars that were like offshore bank account deposits that you just tokenize. Right. Is this this after seeing tether what they've done? Yeah. So I I, I was talking to Craig Sellers about it and, and he, and I said, yeah, you could have these two species and and like the, the contract based one's probably going to pay and the other one probably won't, but they kind of have a a utility because the other one's redeemable. And he's like, oh, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. Uh, I've been working on, on this thing called Tether. So I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So, I'll keep it. so I, I actually used Tether in early, in January 2015 uh, with my, my guy Dante, who's the cash dealer, um, to save, you know, 20 bucks on Bitfinex from having to buy it and, and sell it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like a use case for Tether that actually saved me money when I was like pretty broke last crypto winter. Um, but... Yeah, obviously there have been some problems with Tether, and, and what happened with Omni was it, it had sort of a regulatory capture, if you well, not a regulatory capture, yeah, that's my notification of this very, this very recording. Um, sorry, I'm just pounding this off so it doesn't bother me. Um, what am I trying to say? Uh, yeah, so basically, like, what if everybody could just have, like, the, the denomination they wanted, dollars, whatever, and not have to worry about the banking system, not have to worry about getting their money frozen, right? That's what, that's what Bitcoin's all about, right? right? So wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to take the price risk to have that optionality of, of sovereignty? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was calling it decentralized banking, now I call it decentralized currency. I think, um, you know, it's interesting from the point of view of like a wealthy baby boomer investor to be able to get yield in dollars. Um, so I ran a fund to that effect for a little while. Um, but it's very complicated and like tax accounting is, is hell. I'm having a, a meet tomorrow about helping this, uh, tax software, get, get this, spe- this hedging use case accounted for. 
uh, cause I need to do it. So, you know, so it's not, it's not for like the everyday person. Right. So what I want to have is just a dollar unit that people manufacture kind of like how MakerDAO manufactures it. Right. But MakerDAO uses this lending model and it's rather capital inefficient. And there's this somewhat centralized board of governance from the maker token holders. And they have this negative rate, the stability fee to try and hold it together. And I think that's the wrong approach. Yeah, it seems pretty terrible. It seems very arbitrary. They're just throwing interest rates at the wall to see what will stick. Uh, yeah, we're in a very experimental time, um, but I think that's not the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into this. This, this MakerDAO, this, these synthetic dollars are very taboo in, in the Bitcoin world. Why do we need synthetic dollars uh, via Bitcoin and a blockchain ecosystem or a decentralized exchange? Uh, how long... Will this be needed if we ever trans, like, say, we transition to like a Bitcoinized world where maybe Bitcoin takes over as the reserve currency? Uh, is this sort of just like a bridge uh, time period between the traditional fiat world and a Bitcoinized world? Well, you, and, you read Hayek, right? The, yeah. the pyramid. You got the power money, and then you get the, the subsequent things that are a little. Let's, well, let's walk through it for the freaks. All right. So, like, his vision back then was like gold, right? Mm -hmm. So you start with gold at the base of the pyramid. Then you get uh, government currency. And, and there was a time where they had Bretton Woods and, and monetary policy was somewhat tied to gold. Um, first, there was a hard gold standard. Then Bretton Woods was like a soft gold standard. And now we've had the petrodollar standard, right? So it's basically if, if, this, if you can get the vision fund to buy out your startup kind of a deal. Um, so then you go up the chain a little more, you know, from the government notes, you get the like corporate notes and the stocks, and then you go out further and you get like all the interest rate swaps and all that stuff, which be becomes like a quadrillion dollars in, in open interest from, you know, total gold value is, is $5 trillion to the extent that gold is serving as a, a check on, mm -hmm. on all, which probably is, isn't anymore. Yeah. they they did a pretty good job of, uh, bastardizing it with the, uh, the market infrastructure Although China's been doing a pretty good job of, of taking that over, right? So they bought out the uh, the London uh, Metals Exchange. They're trying to make Shanghai. Well, this uh, is what I wrote about yesterday in the Bent, is over the last two decades, China's four and a half x their gold holdings and denominated in tons, and then Russia's 5x their holdings in the last 10 years. So it seems like... Well, and those numbers are at the uh, central bank level. But what China's done a really good job of is uh, culturally encourage people privately... Like Chicken India, like, similar, similar to India, like in, like India has a gold culture? Or? Well, that's a little deeper because you've yeah. got Diwali and it's it's a, a custom that goes mm -hmm. back a long time. And you've got the wedding aspect where you've got to have gold at the wedding. So that's always, mm -hmm. so Indian wedding season has always been a part of the seasonality and, and the gold. I used to be a gold bug and I traded it on a Wanda and stuff <laughs> when I was starting out. So yeah, I read, got into, read a lot of zero hedge, you know? So yeah, right. And then what happened, right? We all were like, yeah, yeah, all right, we're going to. We're going to be the bond, the bond vigilantes against Ben Bernanke. And then we had 2011 and everything topped out. And uh, they actually succeeded at, at engineering this uh, Goldilocks situation for the better part of the decade, uh, which was cool for me because I worked for like VC funded companies. And that's all just this low time preference uh, shuffling that, you know, worked for me. So, you know, I can't complain too much. <laughs> Uh, it's better than like the economy crashed in 2008 and we all came of age to a, a Mad Max uh, desert environment. You know? Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, are they going to be able to do it forever? I don't think so. Right? Yeah, it's the question is how long can they do it? Yeah. And so the one scenario is they um, create, they succeed at creating inflation, but then it's like, it's more than they imagined. Right? Well, I would argue it already is more than they imagined. This is another thing we've been talking about. 
like the shadow stats inflation versus the official CPI is. Well, that's true. And even the official one ticked 2.8 last year, yeah. which is uh, maybe a head fake of Trumponomics. So we'll see. It's 50% above their, almost 50% above their target of two. So that's uh Right. Yeah. Well, and what's really important are, are real interest rates. So they fixed the, uh, the Fed funds rate at like 2%, 2.5, right? So it's like you got this little bit of a real yield there. And uh, you got negative nominal rates in Europe and Japan, and, and their inflation is quite low, but it's, it's, a, it's more of a negative real yield. Uh, whereas in America, you get, you get a slightly positive one. So that, you know, everybody comes to America, buy the American stocks, right? So it's, it's kind of worked out. Um, and yeah, the other scenario is if, if the inflation doesn't show up, and then we see the IMF is really uh, kicking this around lately, um, but they, they've been kicking it around for years, right? Mm-hmm. Let's keep beating the drum about going to nominal negative rates. And then uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to see negative real yields that way too, right? So it's kind of like, uh, you know, New York right now is very lovely springtime. It's a great place. It almost feels like... Uh, Vibes are high. Yeah, it's like a Mediterranean climate, but not really, but it feels like it. Um, so that's the Goldilocks economy since the 90s. And then uh, New York in the winter kind of sucks and New York in the summer kind of sucks, right? So uh, that's, that's kind of the state of the global economy. It's like they're short a straddle, and they don't want the thing to go up or down too much. They've got to thread the needle in this narrow band, and then if you know, the inflation runs away or they go too negative, it's going to be it's gonna get pretty, pretty weird, right? It, I feel like it already – I mean, 2008 was definitely weird, but – Yeah, that was weird. They've set themselves up for a weirder, weirder situation going forward, and uh, – one thing, a podcast I listened to last week with this dude Jeff Snyder talking about like the mm. euro, the euro dollar like shadow banking system. Man, it's so great that you brought up Jeff Snyder. That guy, like, he's one of the best analysts in the world. Well, let's talk about what he's talking about the euro dollar situation. Yeah, so he, he puts the dollar in parentheses a lot. Yeah, to uh, highlight its sort of postmodern nature. Right, the dollar is largely an accounting entity. Right, so if um, I have a dollar account in Chile or wherever, and you know they've got N million dollars in their branches and cash because and that's the great thing that the dollar's got going for it the physical the m0 physically is like being hodled by a lot of peeps right like in argentina they've got about 200 billion dollars in cash literally under the mattress or maybe it's in the walls whatever i don't know the details of those particular this apartments is, this is usd yeah and just to add i don't want to interrupt but to add to the fact of that uh there's more hundred dollar us dollar bills in existence than one dollar U.S. dollar bills in existence right now. Well, that's that store of value in case, that, right? SOV. I think it's man. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, or if you go out to like a, a border village between Cambodia and Vietnam, um, they're mostly trading dollars. They're not trading, even though euros theoretically are liquid. You know, this is like the maximalist argument that like there will be only one, mm-hmm. uh, like Highlander. Um, it's not literally true, but when it comes down to to the edge, then yeah, you you do pick one thing usually right and like with finance the collateral of choice the bitcoin of the 80s was the u.s treasury bond so like solomon brothers were flipping the bonds and you had like the uh savings and loan crisis you had uh michael milken milking them with the the junk bonds right mm-hmm. and you had louis ranieri come in and collateralize all that stuff right and but that was really innovative back then yeah right and it was all in a way it was almost a good thing because now you're getting a lot more capitalization out um, and the 80s were a really weird time. I, I showed uh, a bunch of bankers in 2015 at a conference in Miami this chart of M- M2 climbing and climbing through the 80s and the inflation just trailing along. 
and they all lived through that. If those who lived through that, I mean, these, these are somewhat older people, so I imagine a lot of them lived through that decade. Um, you know, all, all the Latin American countries that were doing the same thing, but their inflation was through the roof, right? Mm -hmm. It was, it was a mess. So, um, so like Solomon brothers figured out, oh, you can use treasury bonds as collateral. And, um, you know, the treasury bond represents in a way the spine of this whole Kissinger petrodollar engineering that was, was working so well. And, um, you start trading, uh, interest rate swaps with that, right? So now they're making money off of money. In, in this fashion. And um, so the interest rate swaps are nice because people can be in debt. And it's like uh, Margaret Thatcher said, the problem with socialism is you run out of other people's money. Well, not true because you can go to Wall Street and they will help you. <laughs> They'll help you create money out of thin air. Yeah, you just have, but you just have to hedge your interest rates. So, but then the joke's on you because they have this trend downward in yields. So, all right, so like ultimately a dollar became this, this fuzzy unit of account and uh, if you have a debt in some currency and you're trying to do like international transfers, you're shuffling it around through the correspondence system and you go trade uh, an FX swap with Citi, uh, you can turn what is a foreign asset into this do synthetic dollar denomination. So my dollar bank account with, with BSA back when I was, was doing that, you know, I saw they had dollars in the branch and you know, I was able to take some out. But... Um, they surely have more digital representations than they have the actual cash, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, they use these FX swaps in the way that you would buy a Bitcoin and hedge it into synthetic dollars. They do that with, with their foreign currency. You know, they have the power to print money in those currencies, not in dollars. They don't have the FDIC. They don't have the Fed bailing them out. But don't worry about it. It's a pretty liquid global market. And uh, that's like the wholesale finance system. So Jeff Schneider is a big... He digs into that, and you know he's smarter than me. He he gets all the numbers and slices and dices them. Well, that's like what I was particularly interested in his analysis. Uh, this is the Macro Voices podcast episode from last week. I'll link to it or two weeks ago when this is posted. I'll link to it in the show notes. But uh, I don't know if it's proper to link to other podcasts in your podcast, but whatever. Uh, Descri like basically describing that there was a liquidity crunch in the euro dollar system market and that's probably what was the major cause behind uh 08 07 08 instead of mortgage-backed securities yes the mbs's and the cds's were were very important in pushing things like over the edge but he he would argue that like a liquidity crunch in the euro dollar market is is really what caused well, I, I think the, one begat the other, right? Yeah. So the, the stuff at the risky end uh, started a contagion. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you know, what happens if Deutsche Bank goes bankrupt? Like, we did these wire transfers. We're not too far from that, are we? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. How much derivative exposure do they have? $242 million, trillion? Dollars? Trillion. Well, of, of notional derivatives or something yeah, like but, that? Yeah, but it's more complex than that because a lot of that might be netted out. And now with Dodd-Frank... How do you the, unwind that, though? How do you unwind a $242 trillion notional book? Well, you, you get the most capitalized banks to acquire the less capitalized banks, which is what happened, right? Mm -hmm. And we've had this, uh, this is something that Schneider talks about a lot. We've had this nice little downtrend that's been kind of slow and steady in the overall open interest in those markets. And then Dodd-Frank has forced people to actually have like tighter margining requirements. So it's not just like, yeah, I'll write you a swap, I'll write you a swap. Like, I mean, the Solomon brothers had that. They did credit lines back. This was in the 80s. They get credit lines and they'd be trading Forex with, there was no notion of how much leverage you're using. You know, it's just like, we don't have any equity capital for this. We're just trying not to lose the money on the, on the trade. 
So, um, you know, it was like that in 2008. And in a way, things like CDOs were a way of getting around the capital requirements because it's like, oh, no, it's off balance sheet, right? So they're, they're kind of taking advantage of the bilateral exemption in the Commodities Exchange Act because when they made that, they didn't want to be hassling, you know, some farmer doing a contract with Archer Daniels Midland or whatever, right? That's beyond their scope of regulation. Uh, so the investment banks or like there was a famous example. Uh, I read this book when I was in my formative years uh, called Traders, Guns and Money by uh, Sajid Das. Mm -hmm. It's quite good. And, and he tells a story of a. Japanese trader who lost like $400 million and then he used a derivative to, to make it go off the books and he was able to maintain face for several years before, you know, the chickens came home to roost. Um, so Dodd-Frank is like, okay, forget about it. Like you gotta, you gotta bring this in. Um, they do have an $8 billion a year turnover de minimis before you're a regulated swap dealer and you gotta be in the NFA and you gotta be on a SEF, right? So you can do... Um, so, like, medium-scale capital, for instance, with TradeLayer, could do N million dollars a day in turnover and and be shot well shy of that that threshold. So, it's, you know, there's some, I've been doing a lot of work on Dodd-Frank, trying to figure out how to make that that play, right? And and there's some room. And they're also pretty progressive at the CFTC, so they're, uh, it's an evolving situation. Evolving situation. And yeah. so, this is one thing, I've studied the history of, the 0708 crisis pretty intently because I was in senior in high school when it started and was in college while it was going on and studying economics. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. Like, so a lot of people would blame Graham Leach Bliley act, the act uh, signed in 2001 here in the States that uh, basically uh, made the glass Steagall act obsolete and the glass Steagall act put barriers between uh, commercial banks, retail banks and insurance companies. And a lot of people would say this sort of breaking down of those barriers led to 08, 09, and the contagion risk that... Well, that was only a 10-year window, then you got the Volcker rule, right? Yeah. And they put a stop to that. Yeah, uh, yeah I'd say there, there's something to that, right? And it's... Uh, yeah, you, you could you could lay it on the Clintons a little bit that they, they did some of that deregulation right. in, in the 90s uh, that led to, like, Enron and, and such. Um, but, you know, I think, I think derivatives got a bad rap, though. You know, I think derivatives are actually very useful tools and they don't just have to be tools for wholesale international banker finance uh, to create what Jeff Snyder would call quote unquote dollars. Right. Um, anybody, uh, you know, a mom in Botswana can create dollars in this fashion. Um, and it's incredibly useful. It's incredibly liberating, especially if the, the saving is, rate is pretty good. And I'm not making your representations that might be anything at all. Depends entirely on, on where the market's floating. Um, I've been working on uh, interest rate floors. We could talk about that in a minute so that people can kind of set it and forget it. And then you're going to get a lower blended rate than you would on like BitMEX with that. Because uh, obviously with BitMEX, uh, you can do this synthetic dollar position. And if the market's down and there are negative rates, you come back a month later and you're, you're down 15%. On the, you know, it's not, not very good. What the good. hell's going on? Well, all right. Before we jump into this, yeah. again, let's quell the... Uh I can feel some people, I can feel the heat from some hardcore mm -hmm. Bitcoiners saying, derivatives mm -hmm. markets, derivatives on top of Bitcoin, what are we thinking? Like, right. how, why, aren't we trying to are get away from Are we repeating the mistakes of the yeah, past? Are, right. We're trying to get to a sound money. Like, is, is this tr type of financialization worthwhile? Is it, is it uh, advantageous for us? Is this, are we trying to get away from this? Or do you think there's an argument to be made that we can build an even better derivatives market with Bitcoin, uh, the uh, driving fact of that thesis being that there's no backup. Like if you if you fuck up with Bitcoin as the the end all be all collateral at the end of the contract, like you fuck up, 
and the market just washes over you. Um, sure, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so there's systemic risk, right? Yes. So the thing about Bitcoin is everything's out in the open, so you can quantify systemic risk better, mm -hmm. and then people can make better decisions, right? Whereas, you know, your average American, they got a balance with Bank of America. They don't know what Bank of America's balance sheet is like, right? Um, so I, I think this transparency aspect right away is, is an important thing. Um, two, Bitcoin needs a business model. So what when, do you mean by that? When the block reward gets thin in about five years, um, we're going to need the fee revenue to be significant. And... Uh, so a lot of the transactions have been uh, batched exchange withdrawals where people are zipping money in between to do arbitrage or to go speculate on shit coins. And um, we saw when they started using SegWit that that cleared up a lot of the congestion. And also the amount of TXs was very correlated to the price. So it's, it's like the speculation. This is what no coiners always Oh, you guys are just a bunch of... Uh, you know, speculators and, and you're bunch just, of gamblers, drug using gamblers there. Yeah, yeah. You're just you're going in a circle, uh, you know, jerking around like that, right? But no, there's a real financial system that we can make and having things settled in cryptocurrency does create a parallelism where you get independence there while being able to maintain dollar denomination or yen or euro denomination or whatever you want, really. I mean it depends on ultimately the liquidity in the in those contracts. Um so, yeah, if we got a lot of settlements, so if we cannibalize this very high margin, not totally, kind of sketchy, you know, not totally above board centralized exchange business, and we factor it out into decentralized exchange. Um, so we can get into side chains in a minute. That's how it becomes modular, and, and you're not going like... There's no systemic risk. In yeah, we don't, we're not going to... Well, there's systemic risk, but there, it's all... It, visible it, it's modular to the the side chain if the side chain is going to offer 100x they, they got to deal with their own clearing um we're gonna set a 10x limit for the on-chain stuff uh by default if there was a spill you know there'd be like a socialization to keep the thing even and then uh we're gonna design the cash flow so that it's like the taker fees are lower than anything else half of them approximately a rebate but if it was all rebate it would be wash trade city right and that wouldn't be any good for the the value of the data um, I used to trade on OK Coin back where <laughs> the the party got stopped by the PBSC, right? Did you ever get uh, ever get thrown into the wood chipper? Um, no, I manage risk pretty well. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, yeah, I've been liquidated a few times, and I, I got liquidated on Bitmax a few times in early early seventeen, but I learned my lesson. Um, and back in when I was starting, back when I was starting out, and I had like five hundred bucks in an Oanda account, like yeah, I got margin calls like left and right. You know, you, <laughs> you got to take your licks to to learn to have your brain like soak the the lesson up, right? Um, so let's reorient. Can you reorient me in a second? I just kind of lost. <laughs> no, yeah, let's reorient. Oh to yeah. No, I, rem I remember seeing like prints on OK coin CN back in 16 where like 634 bitcoins would, would hit the tape and I didn't see it hit the book. Right. It just like that's wash trading. Right. So then OK coins volume looks fabulous. Yeah. If you go look, if we pull up Bitcoin, it we'll pull it up right now. If you pull up uh Bitcoin, these, I think one of the few, resources that still has like these this information like look at the volume back in 2016 okay coins leading it okay coin had 70.7 .7 million bitcoin contracts traded apparently in uh february 29th of 2016 but what what stopped that china yeah it was, clamped it was down pretty on much them, right? china well and also like um there was a the china premium 
So I, I was working with Brave New Coin on a Bitcoin index. So I was trying to figure out some math to discount that. What what's the like real value of that? So I was chopping it down by about ten or, or twenty x and and weighing that in with like OKCoin. Okay I mean, I'm sorry, like Coinbase or or something like that, where you're paying enough of a fee that you better know what the heck you're doing because you're paying like twenty five basis points for it. Um, and yeah, market structures evolved since then, right? So then for a little while, it was like Bitflyer that was leading the market and they had zero fees, but they're like more regulated. Um, and then at this point, when I look at different trading pairs and I'm trying to like kind of watch what's moving so I can click the other thing, you know, over on Deribit or something real quick and, and take a trade on it. Um, I look at uh, Binance uh, Tether. Mm -hmm. uh, that seems to be where the heat map is right now. And maybe uh, BitMEX to some extent is like the tail that wags the dog. Um, Best liquidity. Right. Well, and that's that's the advantage of, of derivatives, right, is that you, you get the leverage and then people who know what they're doing can, can quote pretty deep. And, and so you get more liquidity in the derivative than you do spot, right? All right. All right wait. So to recalibrate here, I feel like we've been talking like two traders who know what they're talking about. I feel like we may need to dumb it down a bit for the mm -hmm. freaks out there. Um so yeah, let's explain it like I'm five. Uh, so like, I want to offload my risk, and you want to take your point one BTC and what is your risk? My risk is that uh, the price of Bitcoin might go down. Okay, uh, holding Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and I don't want to sell it to the bank. You know, I don't want to get into the banking system for whatever reason. Uh, maybe a perfectly legitimate one, which is I want to be in control of my money, right? Which is that's a, not legitimate. You can't do that. You need the nanny <laughs> state to do that for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, I think it's a fundamental human right, and that's that's why I'm. Well, we're gonna get I, we're enough gonna, of a Bitcoin maximalist to be working on Bitcoin. Enough of. We're gonna get to yeah. uh, no hay futuro sin libertad. Oh yeah. Eventually, I really like that quote. Yeah, but, uh, I can go all over. Yeah, the the dystopian well, dynamics here. Yeah, we'll get. But before we get into the dystopian yeah. dynamics, explain it like I'm five. You're trying to offload risk. Okay, so I've got a Bitcoin, and I sell, and Bitcoin's trading at fifty four hundred bucks. So I sell fifty four hundred contracts, and my counterparty, some guy, who might have one Bitcoin and he wants to double it up, right? Or he might have uh, 0.1 BTC, right? So because it's inverse quoted, like normally when you uh, short a stock and your collateral is dollars, if the stock doubles, you're out, right? Mm -hmm. You get margin called, you're beat. So shorting is kind of a blood sport for that reason. Um, but if your margin is Bitcoin, then it's this is where the magic happens. So if the price doubles, I don't get margin called, I just have half a Bitcoin, which is worth the same amount of dollars, right? Plus whatever interest I uh, swap yield. Right? It was interest is for that, right? This is a little different. So whatever swap yield I've received, I'm going to have the 5,400 I had originally plus some of that yield, right? And then you, my long speculator friend, are going to be up uh, 0.5 BTC on that double, uh, off of your, you know, 0 0.1, 0 0.2 BTC that you put up originally, right? So, and then you're in dollars, you're you're really happy, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the flip side, you know, to to be exposed to that possibility, uh, you have to take the risk that you're going to lose that that 0.1 BTC, right? Um, and then, in theory, if I'm hedging like this and Bitcoin goes down to $2,600, it gets cut in half. Now I have two BTC, still mm -hmm. worth $5,400. Um, with BitMax, you'd probably have some negative funding, right? So I'd be off a little bit on that. So let's talk about the two traders in this trade. One's they have different units of counts that are trying to 
earn value in, correct? One is worried about the USD unit account. The other is worried about their Bitcoin. Yeah, one is one is trying to make sure that they can uh, feed their kids or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're not so uh, the antsy. They're not so gainsy. And the other one is... Uh, stacking sats. Trying to stack... Well, they're risking sats <laughs> to stack sats, right? Yes, yeah. Um, and, and it's a beautiful... Uh, a beautiful call to adventure in a way it's kind of addictive um so i used to do that when i was younger and then i, I got into my 30s I, I like more the the hedge part of it right but, but before we go on, are you a trader or an engineer or both um yeah mostly a trader uh i did study computer science a little bit when i was at virginia tech uh but then i hopped over to do creative writing okay. so what is your life you're you're an american living in in chile, in chile. yeah You've lived in Argentina. I've worked as a game designer. I wrote a novel when I was 17. I, re- I started writing sci-fi stories again recently. So I'm, I'm like kind of a creative guy. Uh, I understand technology. I do uh, JavaScript so I can I can lift some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not the best coder. Um, the guys I, I hired code in C++ and I'm like, I wish I coded in C++ and I could, I could get a lot more work done. Uh, yeah, so I'm like kind of a generalist in, in some levels. Yeah. Writer, trader, designer into bitcoin it's uh it's fascinating again like i said i've only uh been exposed to your to your tweeting for about six months and just even on twitter you're fascinating meeting you in person is even more fascinating so like how did you thanks man before we get into more bitcoin stuff like how did you get enamored with latin america um well i like uh, the ladies um <laughs> for one thing so yeah my wife's here she's chilean uh, i think she's a cutie and um, I well, I was interested in the possibility of uh, in the southern cone in particular. It's like, oh, hey, it's just like North America climate wise or, or Western Europe. And it was cheap. And I wanted to make video games with like eight thousand. I wanted to make a video game with eight thousand dollars, you know. Mm-hmm. So what am I going to do? I ended up working with some Argentines. And for three grand, I got a whole game worth of art which is a pretty good deal. So then I was hooked, right? So I went down there, I spoke at their video game conference in 2007, went around to some different uh, companies in Buenos Aires, picked one, worked for them. Uh, then I worked for a company called Voss2, which was run by some Harvard Business School guys. Um, and they were copying Zynga games uh, right. to uh, Brazil. And the CEO once told me uh, that he wanted uh, zero innovation. And I said, well, how about basis points of innovation? And he's like, oh, let's just let's just play it safe and stick with zero. Because I'm like, I'm trying to, you know, I'm doing the numbers. And I'm like, well, this would be better. This, you know, no, nah, they didn't. They wanted. He's like, this already works. Just yeah, they wanted it. the carbon copy. So they ended up getting sued by Zynga. And they, I think they settled for like five mil for copyright infringement, you know. So that, that strategy kind of uh, backfired. But that company was briefly valued by uh, Tiger, I think it was, at about half a bill, half a yard as the traders like to say half a yard yeah because then it's like not a big deal you're talking about it no it's a yard it's just a unit of measurement right mm-hmm. that's the trader mentality oh no it's a buck it's a million dollars right yeah. like don't worry about it but um yeah so I, I got to see the boom and bust cycle in social games you know and uh it was kind of like ico mania the vibe of whole you know okay like these people are stupid we're gonna take their money like let's go get it and, you know, I was like, well, what about the, the craft of game design, you know? So uh, I teamed up with this guy, uh, Nat Jacobson, who uh, left Facebook, and now he has a, a fund called Spark. And um, I was going to make some games with him. So I worked for King.com a little bit. I helped them make a game. I was producing it with some Argentines. 
uh, and then they canceled that. They later went on to make Candy Crush and, and, and made billions of dollars. Um, guy I worked with at Voss who, not the CEO, but the uh, sort of the, the metrics uh, business numbers guy, he started a company called Oscar Health with uh, oh, Jared no, Kushner. Yeah, they're here in New York. Right. So uh, he taught me a few a thing or two. He was a pretty smart guy. I actually applied to a lot of product manager jobs at Oscar back in the day when I was still trying to break into that. Oh yeah, that role. Yeah. So I, I ended up veering into some some product management stuff when I was in, in the social game industry. Um, yeah, it's cool. You know, you analyze the numbers, you know, optimize things. Like it's, it's you know, but there's some aesthetic sensibility about it. So yeah, I like product management. And you've landed on Bitcoin. Yeah, man, I, I think Bitcoin, you know, like the, the passion that the Bitcoiners have, like I definitely have. I'm loyal to Bitcoin. Do you believe uh, Do you believe in its endeavors to become the, uh, the world reserve currency of the world? Yeah, I think it has a good chance of being a $5 trillion asset like gold, for one thing. Um, and then it could sure have a higher uh, real yield associated with being in that ecosystem than being in the uh, SDR ecosystem that they're going to be pushing you know, where the, the baskets, yeah. yeah, but everything in the baskets got a reference rate that's under zero. Like that's what we're <laughs> looking at, I think. Uh, so I think, I think we'll be able to compete, you know, but we need some features, man. We need people to have some optionality, some flexibility. They need to be able to have a portfolio where they could actually base a lot of their money. I don't, I'm not going to say everybody like go into decentralized dollars and, and be in big. I mean, I know, I know a lot of y'all are just straight up long Bitcoin and cold storage and you chip off a little bit. Or you use a Bitcoin credit card and or a normal credit card and you, you pay it off periodically and, and you try to live frugally for the hodl for the long long term time preference and I think that's great um, but not a lot of people in the world can afford to do that you know so if your cost basis is two hundred dollars or twenty dollars and and you're like rich on paper but you're sticking to your, your principles and your lifestyle you know that's great for you I respect that. I, in my own entrepreneurship, have, have run a very scrappy, uh, you know, sort of budget myself. You know, I live in South America. My rent's 600 bucks a month. So I'm all about that. But um, people who have little money can't afford to be all in Bitcoin, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so if they could be in a blended portfolio and they could be like, yeah, well, maybe I'll get some interest and that would be nice. That helps me with passive income. And then, you know, people might, might you know, so I think if we onboard peeps in a safe way, in what they perceive to be psychologically safe, which is going for the yield, but then they got their foot in the system and then uh, all of that. So what happens is people buy spot and then they sell the derivative, right? Wait, wait, so how does let's for the freaks out there, what do you mean by buy spot, sell derivative? So spot what is, is like, what is the, what is the little man doing? To, I got cash money in the banking system. I go to Gemini and, and I trade it off to somebody That's spot is mm -hmm. when you're using cash. Right? Yeah. There's no leverage. So now I have a physical Bitcoin. Uh, in the, I suppose in the sense that the uh, private key configurations of all the Bitcoin addresses is a physical electrical yep. configuration that gets replicated and all. You have a it's call. Physical, you right? have a call in some UTXOs. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Through your private key. Right. So you physically you heart, you own the underlying Bitcoin spot and then, and then you hedge it so you have this dollar position. Right. Um, so once so in the process that that creates this little you know uptrend maybe right um, soaks up the float there's less Bitcoin available to buy because people are trying to, to peg it at, at different dollar levels, right? So, of course, they're losing Bitcoin as it goes up, but they're earning dollars. So they're kind of happy with that. And then as we fill in that cup and handle, and then we pop that top, right? We get over whatever resistance, we pop 10K or something. 
then people go, oh, maybe I should go 50-50 or something like that, right? So then mm -hmm. you get, it starts to, then the premiums go up in the process, right? And, and everything starts to get zany again, which so you, will, should be fun. So you're trying to create a product to make this easy so people can have sort of digital synthetic U.S. dollars that they can use whenever. And then if they need to quickly switch over to Bitcoin, it's made easy via trade layer. Yeah, so we're, we have a DEX um, that's an improvement on the original OmniDEX where you could trade MasterCoin for, for mm -hmm. Trade Layer, and it was like kind of one way. And that was used for for Pepe Cash too, correct? Or no, Pepe Cash. Built that was on own. Counterparty. That was on Counterparty. Yeah. Yes, yeah. But yeah, Counterparty Sorry. had something similar, yeah. but it was a bit, a bit a bit clunky. Yeah. So we've uh, we've tuned that up so that's a bit smoother, and you can actually post a bid, um, and then you can trade spot on the DAX Bitcoin to, to token. Um, so I want to be totally upfront with everyone about the trade-offs, unlike a lot of people who, who hit people up. Um, so the, we're creating a, a MetaCoin on Litecoin and a MetaCoin on Bitcoin. Uh, it's ALL on Litecoin. It's total on Bitcoin. So it's kind of like uh, Omni. But instead of being an ICO, you know, here's a tranche of coins. Good luck, everyone. Um, it has its own economy, right? So there's a liquidity reward. People earn some posting orders and getting those filled uh, and to get the ball rolling because we're starting from zero, there's a, a node reward. So we came, I came up with a mechanism where you can signal that you're running a node and get paid for it in this coin, right? Um, so the trade-off is, of course, you're not using raw BTC for these trades. Um, so like Blockstream recently just did a, to uh, a contract with their uh, friends in Japan at Crypto Garage where you put Bitcoin in a multi-sig, there's a uh, Schnorr sig off chain and then the secret reveal this is called a discrete log contract. It's, it's discrete in the sense of, of discretion, not in the sense of discrete math. Um, so the benefit there is you're using Bitcoin directly. Um, the trade off there is that a clearing it is really hard. So, you know, how do you, how are you going to flow that across a whole chain? So maybe we can get into lightning network derivatives, right? So this is what's going to grow beyond trade layer as, as I set this precedent, uh, you know, trying to be like magnanimous and move the science forward. Uh, I see lightning network achieving something, possibly implementing a version of, of our peer to peer graph based clearing algo in the lightning network. So that path is actually how uh, the checks flow as you settle in, in the, you know, you could swap Bitcoin in the Lightning Network and then you're dollarized with Lightning, right? So I, th I think that'll happen. Uh, I think MAST is going to make that uh, possible. So I, I see the uh, future. I'm, I'm not like, oh yeah, buy my shit coin. It's going to be, the, it's gonna be the, the, the next big thing. Bid it up to 20 BTC. It's, it's going to be fine. No, you know, don't bid it up to 20. Don't bid it up higher than the value of Bitcoin because then it's, you know, that, that creates weird uh, distortions. So don't do that. Um, I see the value post-mast as being, um, well, A, people who aren't like Bitcoin maximalists might prefer just having a dollar unit in cold storage. Um, and B, uh, it creates this uh, endogenous price reference, right? So if you get enough volume going on and there's enough orders placed so that the cost of manipulation is quite high, you can infer the price of Bitcoin triangularly from its uh, on-chain trades against this this orbital uh, money supply right? all right i'm still trying to grasp this concept so it's run with side chains correct so by um, default you can just do stuff on chain but there's problems with that right yeah there's adverse selection i think costs and i think miners could fuck with you right yeah i think where i get caught up mostly with this 
so let's bring Tether in back in again. Yeah. So like Tether, like with their U.S. dollar collateral on the other end, like they need, they've had to prove that they have the dollars in the bank account. So hmm. with Trade Layer, how like so you're creating synthetic U.S. dollars that are similar to like die or something like that and right. how does that become connected back to meat space or actually connected back to the u.s dollar system so um, people are paying a certain amount of dollars for bitcoin they're going to people can trade for the native coin and then uh you get some some data so that the uh, native like say all ltc contract can can settle in a, in a fairly reliable way um you get the supply of synthetic litecoin so then it's a bit cleaner you trade Synthetic Litecoin for Litecoin, right? Um, and then you get the supply of uh, DUSDs, and then you could just be using that as a, a way of paying for things, right? So it can tie in physically. A, a, you know, my dream is to have like a money changer on every corner. You know, people are running kiosks and they're selling cigarettes and they reload your card. Like an Azteco. What's that? Like an Azteco like vision. Uh, I'm not familiar with Azteco. That's what Beautyon's working on. It's um, oh, okay. you can go. It's like. Similar to by being able to load up your burner phone with minutes at a bodega or something like that, being able to go buy thirty dollars worth of Bitcoin, right. redeem it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I want to percolate that out, and then people are of course going to be able to to choose. And um, I see uh, Bitcoin ultimately being the dominant money, and with mass, you're going to be able to try and replicate this automagical clearing process with with a little bit more fine-tuning you got this tree of, of signatures that handle different yeah. scenarios to pay it out so let's talk about mass uh Merkleize abstracts syntax trees yep correct or signature I think. signature yeah. trees um and this will be enabled via schnorr signatures and the way i understand it is that you're basically able to just dumb it down for everybody, like able to store a lot of data in one little Merkle root. Yeah, well, the the idea is you're staying in the UTXO environment, but you add some some programmality, programmability mm -hmm. rather uh, to it, right? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is like Lightning Network has this issue with watchtowers, right? So to make Lightning Network secure, you need a watchtower to provide the service, and then you're you're trusting the watchtower, right? Um, and if you have lightning derivatives, you still have uh, the Oracle problem. Right? You need to rely on an exogenous data feed in order to settle those, right? Unless you have on-chain data and it becomes endogenous, right? So, um, all right, so let's get into sidechains for a second. So, um, big problem with Bitcoin is that, and you know, I'm not like, oh, this is, we're solving all the problems with Bitcoin and with our altcoin. Now, like, the problem with Bitcoin is uh, pseudo-finality. And you can have reorg attacks, right? And this is why the sidechains research of Blockstream, where it was proof of work sidechains, didn't work because you get into this recursive nightmare. You're just dependent on the miners not stealing your Bitcoin, correct? Yeah, well, that's more like uh, drive chains, which, drive which, chains, which yeah, is yeah. also a bit you yeah. know, too much game theory. Yeah. So the way I look at it in this space, like when you're designing these systems, uh, an ounce of mechanism is worth a pound of a game theory, you know? Um, so what we're trying to come up with is a mechanism where if, uh, so the, the kind of sidechain that I think really fits is something like Tendermint which is uh, my, my former acquaintance, Jay Kwan's uh, innovation. And this is via off the Cosmos chain, correct? Or? No, not necessarily. So Cosmos was, so Jay Kwan invents this algorithm. That's pretty good. It's, it's a, what is Tendermint? Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's like a, a purification of some insights from the 1982 paper on Byzantine fault tolerance where they realize, you know, two thirds is, is about the threshold where, you, where you're safe um, in, in whatever protocol. And they were trying to, trying to theorize about the space of algorithms in general that, that could do that. Right? And then we got things like Paxos where you can coordinate, uh, you know, without the Byzantine aspect so much. 
Um, so what Jay did is he, he kind of boiled it down to the minimum amount of validation that you need to create this two thirds, you know, assuming the two thirds are legitimate, you can have, have them all going around signing blocks. And of course, Jay's biased because he thinks the proof of work is this environmental cancer. Jay, and, Jay, it's an, it's a, it's a boom for environmental energy efficiency. <laughs> I well, I think so. Yeah, I'm more on, on the uh, you know team Bitcoin with that, right? Like, yeah. uh, I think Nick Carter's done some good analysis on on disproving that that claim. Um, but likewise, the Blockstream guys were in their own ivory tower, thinking it's got to be proof of work, right? So that's why that became a dead end. So um, the kind of one winged angel form of Bitcoin, its final form, I think, and you can do this permissionlessly. You don't have to do a soft fork or hard fork to accomplish this. You can just have these channels. Uh, people who are running the side chain with Tendermint, they're the validators. HTLC or no, it doesn't have. Yeah, HTLC fits in uh, Lightning, but with, with, yeah, we can get into that in a minute. Okay. And the option value around it—that's that, kind of interesting. But um, you just have these these multi sigs where the private, the pub keys are, are congruent to what was used to create the Tendermint chain, right? Mm -hmm. So you got your validators representing down to Bitcoin. That's the bridge. And um, so let's say you go deposit Bitcoin to them. And then it's like, well, what if they, they just gank my Bitcoin, right? This is the, the two-way peg problem. Mm -hmm. So what I, among other applications, what, what we're trying to do is have a proof mechanism where if there is a Byzantine failure on Tendermint, there is a two-thirds collusion and they go mint a block where they like rob all of your, your validator stake and that's way out of bounds of what is appropriate for slashing. Um, and there would be like a template encoded in, in the trade layer logic. And so you, you have your state from that channel, which is like just a signed transaction. You don't have to spam the blockchain with these. You're just kind of holding it as uh, insurance. So you throw that down on the table. You cook up a Merkle proof to link that to the alleged uh, bad block uh, with the hash of that and the uh, contiguous data. Uh, trade layer, uh, we're, we're not quite there yet in the protocol, but when, as we fill out the uh, roadmap, the uh, logic of the, of the protocol would parse that. And it would say, you know, that's that's bad or, or that's okay, right? So you have like an FDIC insured side channel? It's yeah, almost like uh, like fast ar fast arbitration that happens on Bitcoin mm -hmm. uh, or on Litecoin. As we're we're gonna launch on Litecoin and then circle back to Bitcoin later. Is Litecoin Bitcoin's testnet? Do you think? What's that? Do you think Litecoin is Bitcoin's testnet? Uh, well, that and it's it's interesting because anybody who's, who talks uh, talks Turkey about the block size and when do we raise the block size and all that. Well, you've got Litecoin as a four mega, effectively a four megabyte throughput chain. So let's get the demand filled out like in 2017 on Bitcoin, and then you could fill up Litecoin, and then you know maybe we could have a conversation about this, right? But until then, like it's there as like the lightning rod, if you will, the grounding uh, circuit of, uh, of that extra demand. Mm -hmm. And I have speculated about how lightning network and, and cross chain swaps might enable routing. So if we are in an environment where you've got to pay like 150 bucks to get your Bitcoin uh, confirmed in, in a block or a lot or a few blocks um, that you could just cheaply paying the counterparty value adjustment to do the swap over, which we'll get into. Uh, swap it over to Lightning and I mean over to Litecoin and do the transaction there for last, right? And then maybe we'll be in an environment where everything's like crazy value, you know, $100,000 Bitcoin and, and the backlogs are 100,000 transactions and, and Litecoin's filled up 
and then I don't know, maybe the deck cred guys are going to start looking credible at that point. Right. But, uh, well, they might be in the lightning network too. Right. Well, so. that's what I was about to get to is it seems like you're, you're trying to create like a quasi POW POS combination. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so what deck cred claims is that they have this 90% threshold yeah. because in addition to the one fifty one percent of the hash power or realistically it's more like 30% to do a selfish mining attack. You also need to have a lot of stake in deck cred. So therefore you have to like, you know, it's like very secure, right? So it's a nice claim. I, I think it's, uh, it's it's three times more secure than Bitcoin, according to some people. Well, there you go. That's just math, right? Yeah. Um. So, but but there's something there, you know, because if you have pseudo finality on Bitcoin, but it's very like like Mr. Dink and and Doug would say, very expensive to uh, to break it, right? Um. And then you've got the sidechain with instant finality. You can cash your, your signed transactions on the sidechain. And then if you have a good proof mechanism to hold them accountable in case they break, um, you kind of get the best of both worlds. And you can reward people for cashing that on the sidechain. Cash as in C-A-C-H-E. Yeah, C-A-C-H-E. Yes. Yeah. And it works for Lightning Network. It could be like so a third cashing, layer to Lightning Network. would be analogous, analogous to staking. Almost. No, staking would be what you're you're trying to do as a validator. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're a user and you just sign like a, a zero comp payment over, or you're depositing your Bitcoin and you want to have some insurance, well, that's that's a little different. But or you're, you're doing a trade and you want to have instant comp fast confirmation, uh, if you're able to hold those guys accountable and they have like a one second block time for a globally distributed tendermint chain, or a regionally distributed one might have like a hundred millisecond block time for the latency theoretically. Or maybe a little bit, a little bit tighter than that. Um, then you have a pretty, you have a decent uh, assurance, right? And of course, you need to be like three or four blocks deep in confirmations to have that same level of assurance, just in, in naked proof of work, right? Yeah. So, I believe this will uh, really allow Bitcoin to spread its wings, because now you can do things on chain. You can do them off chain to some extent, right? Uh, to where the extent that is economical. Right, so you could also like uh, pledge your money uh, to the side chain, trade your heart out. Maybe they have a good clearing engine where to manage their risk and they let you have 100x leverage and, and their fees are super low and you get the fast comp on all those trades. So you trade for a month and then you order uh, a settlement out of there and then they don't settle you. So then you throw down this, you throw down the doom, you throw down your uh, proof of Byzantine failure uh, and, and you get settled that way. So the, the issue is um, before we have MAST, um, let's say I'm, I'm putting Bitcoin on a multi-sig so I can go trade on sidechain max. It's like the, the more decentralized BitMax, right? And, uh, and then they gank my coin. They just, whoosh, just, the transaction goes out. All these Bitcoins just moved out of the multi-sig because there was this collusion, right? Mm -hmm. So if I can prove that and they've staked a bunch of synthetic Bitcoins that are hedged with an on-chain contract, then, and, and with, you know, some threshold of over collateralization, maybe 50%, maybe 20, depends, right? So there's, side chains can be competitive and broadcasting, you know, what's their quote depth. Uh, so they're, they're going to be staking to be held accountable for that on a block by block basis. Um, and, and in these parameters, like if it's a Bitcoin custodial side chain, how much extra synthetic Bitcoin do you want, right? So then if, if the trade layer... Uh, contract uh, is in deep backwardation, like 30%, which is probably not, it probably wouldn't get that bad. Uh, and it's a 50% overcollat, then, you know, okay. It, it could be messy in the unwind, right? Right. But people could come out of that hole. And then in the future, I think mask might be able to affect the same kind of guarantees. Yeah. So maybe in the future, 
this kind of proof could plug in to as uh, as like the, the the you know break this in the event of an emergency, push the red button, part of the uh, the mass tree, and trigger trigger a payout that way. Yeah, right? um, this is going to take mean, a few more years though. No, this is I mean. This is the first time I've had a conversation with a Bitcoiner where like a lot's going over my head. I'm like happy. I'm happy about it. <laughs> I am. I swear to God, I am. Well, thank you, Patrick. We need to distill this for the freaks out there. Okay, let's distill. Let's like we're let's, drinking Lafrag, which is pretty distilled. We're drinking Lafrag. It's very so, distilled. So we might as well do the same justice to everyone else. Cheers again. Yeah. Um, so, are you creating an altcoin? I guess that's what what the freaks want to know. Well, you know, an altcoin is like forget about Bitcoin. Here's here's our blockchain. Yes, and then you've got the whole issue of uh, well, this altcoin better support a mining environment where this is a secure blockchain. And it's like, oh, don't worry about it. We're we're doing very innovative things in, in proof of stake, right? So like Jay's thought was, how do I monetize this awesome algo that I've invented that's moved computer science forward in an open source way? You know, create an altcoin, right? So they created Cosmos, right? And Cosmos is um, a base layer built on on Tendermint. So I don't think Tendermint's great for being a base layer. I think it's great for being a sidechain layer. Mm-hmm. And proof of work's great for being a base layer. Uh, I would so, agree. So so no, it's not an altcoin. Uh, it's it's a metacoin. And uh, Udi uh, Wertheimer would would make fun of me and say that I'm uh, you know I'm just bullshitting. But um, Udi. Yeah, Udi's a funny guy. I like Udi. Yeah, well, I figure if if I can pass muster with Udi, then I'm I'm not doing too bad. But uh, if I can't, you know, it's 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 not the end of the world. Had, um, the, had the pleasure of meeting him in Riga last year. Uh, in Rio. Riga. Oh, Riga. Latvia. Oh, right, for the the Baltic. A far, uh, a far, uh, far stones throw from from Rio. Sure. Uh, yeah. Probably the much weather. Uh, much more would have been in Rio. Rather have been in Rio. Uh, for the weather, but I was in Rio for La Bitcom 14. I got robbed on the beach. And How many uh, times you've been robbed in your life? Three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's always been instructive, I guess. Well, the the instruction there was that Rio is not like Miami. You can't just go for a moonlit walk on the beach. I hear you got to go to uh, where's the other the southern coastal town in Brazil? Or it's not a coastal town. Oh uh, yeah, like uh, Florianopolis. Florianopolis. Yeah, that's yeah, it. that's like a little bubble. Yeah, yeah. She she was trying to sell me on on going. And Florianopolis. There, when, uh, I don't really take vacations. I only take business trips. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm uh, very flattered that you decide to stop here on your business trip. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's let's get back to uh, Udi's objection and what he yeah, said. Yeah. So you. like you know he, he would just say that like a meta coin is just some kind of bullshit thing that the. Uh, ICO purveyors of the original ICO Mastercoin would would say to dress it up, but no, there's a taxonomical a taxonomical right? that's the word taxonomical yeah yeah there's a taxonomical distinction that's very meaningful. So it's native and well you know he put native in, in quotes that's that was the thing. So I mean it is native in the sense that it, it's born and and dies if if the blockchain were to fizzle to a halt like a white dwarf in the future or a black dwarf eventually right. Um, you know, it lives and dies by the blockchain that, that it's born on. Um, so Omni hasn't really done it. I mean, it did go benoodles during alt season in, mm-hmm. in 2017 and now it's back at like one, two mil, but you know, they didn't really do much with that. They didn't, they never acted. I, I came up with this idea that there would be a fee distribution, right? They never activated that. Maybe they're afraid of the sec cause it was, I mean, technically with the ICO, you know, it's kind of a security ready, right? So, um, <clears throat> Yeah, so the thing about a metacoin is because it's native, it has the same kind of contiguity in history as the UXTO set. Um, so we're going to have this monetary policy in the thing that is uh, with ALL in total where, you know, it's 
a little more inflationary than Bitcoin. I'm not like it's not so inflationary like Grin because like I think that was like way too deferential, and Grin's inflation ten grand every minute or something like that. Yeah, right. So the first block, well, say the first block you get the first grand. The second block, it's a 100% inflation rate. Mm-hmm. The next block, it's it's a 50% inflation rate, and so on. Right. So it takes years for the annualized, and then the annualized inflation rate in 2019 is very very high for Grin. And whenever you're you're creating something that has that that relative commodity, relatively decent commodity, like decentralized monetary policy, where you just put it out and there's nobody like pulling the the levers behind the curtain, uh, you know, Wizard of Oz style or Vitalik style, um, <laughs> et cetera. Uh, you know, that is, you know, this it's in the public it's in the public domain. You know, so. Uh, and then the other thing is that Bitcoin uh, got all this value by having some seniorage in excess uh, where the value increase from that incentive was in excess of the inflation, right? Uh, so I believe in that. I think that, that has potential. So that's why we've got like the liquidity rebate. And um, the thing is all of these trades, right, to the extent that people are willing to pay for them, right, or they could batch them onto side chains and have these, these settlements more periodically if, if the fees go up, they add data to Bitcoin. Right. So there's this whole deb- this was back in 2014. It was uh, Luke Dasher uh, saying, you know, any opportune code is spam. That mm-hmm. was like the hardline position. Uh, so I just I met Luke for the first time at the last uh, LibitConf and, and I, I was uh, forced to confront his his humanity and I just had a lot of empathy for him. And uh, so I just said, hey, you know, I hope uh, how's it going? I hope your, your, your business picks up. I'll refer you to anything I, I find, you know. So I get Luke, you know, I mean, he's 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 like um, I love Luke. He's like an uber conservative Catholic. Like my interpretation of Catholicism is different. My interpretation yeah. of Bitcoin is different. Right. I think uh, I think our interpretation of Catholicism is probably in line with each other. Luke's Luke's a hardcore hardcore guy i went to a jesuit high school luke would uh luke oh, would call the, me a heretic the jesuits <laughs> yeah well I, I was trolling them a little bit on twitter i said like why is luke having trouble making money it's because of the jesuits they're just <laughs> they're stonewalling him but no I, I i stopped trolling him i stopped trolling people in general uh we got we got catholic married don't ever stop trolling no nah, I mean, well you, you got to be like a, a force for for love and, and for positivity i think is, is a better use of your uh, time i agree yeah, but a little a little light trolling yeah. that is a sort of Socratic dialogue. Yeah, tough love is that's needed. That's respectful. This, I think this world needs some tough love. But then, but 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 that's but like some guys have gone way over that. Yeah, line. some people. Yeah, so I, I, I was. How's my Twitter etiquette? Am I okay? My no, you're totally people? chill. Okay, yeah. good. thank you. No, and I think it's yeah, and even a little bit of hostility, you can undo a lot of goodwill. And like, if I'm gonna succeed in getting this thing off the ground, it's gonna be because I'm like being a decent person and being honest and and being amicable. I think. So, yeah, we, we went and got married. Uh, I had this priest give me a confession for the first time in, like, uh, 15 years or something like that since uh, I was 18 and I, I was in college and I just kind of, like, dropped off of it. And then, I, you know, I circled back recently so we could get the sacraments because, you know, you want to get – makes your marriage stronger. I don't know. Maybe. Couldn't hurt. That's, that's what and, they tell us. And it, it was, like, the chillest priest that I had ever met. It was this beach priest, you know. And, like, we, we had to wake him up from his nap when I, we showed up to do the papers – and then he, uh, he did confession, and I uh, told him all my sins of the last uh, decade or so. And, and uh, he gave me uh, one, uh, one Our Father as, as penance. Oh, One Our Father, I, that's it. Just one our, yeah, not even a rosary. You know, You've or, been a good Catholic boy this last decade. I know. Well, no, he was just really lenient, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, he was just kind of a Latin American beach guy, you know? Did he make you say it in Latin, Pater Noster? 
No, my dad's my dad likes to do that in Gaelic. He's he's an uber Catholic. Yeah. Um, so then he did our our wedding and um, the music didn't work. So we did the the bomb bomb on like acapella, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody was like giggling and. The nun said that it was like the most joyous uh, ceremony because you get a lot of these like rich people from Vitacura that come out there to do it because it's like this old colonial style chapel. So it's like a very picturesque place to do it. But it's like, you know, the son of this oligarch and the daughter of this oligarch and, you know, what? And they're going to end up cheating on each other, but they'll stay, you know, and then they'll do confession <laughs> and they'll stay married and it's fine because it all washes out. But OK, um, so the nun said that it was the best, uh, the most joyous ceremony. And yeah, my, my interpretation is like not so legalistic. I mean, obviously I don't go to church that much, so I better not be because otherwise I'd judge myself <laughs> pretty badly. We, we have been going to church a little bit now and then. It's kind of a nice uh, meditation. I'm not even a priest or anymore. I don't make it to church that often. Yeah, well, we should, yeah, we should go. Well, we'll go on Sunday for the wedding, obviously. Yeah, but um, so, um, yeah, I mean, you look, at, you look at Jesus a little bit out of the Orthodox, um, here's a guy who had little money. He went around uh, being a sex worker advocate, uh, an advocate for the poor, right? Not a socialist because he didn't believe in uh, Marxist economics, right? Because that didn't exist yet. Yeah, it's like the crux of Catholicism is pulling yourself up from your bootstraps. It's very capitalist. Well, it's also that like this old lady who was only could only afford to give like whatever the equivalent of like ten dollars back then was like better than the rich guy who writes a check for like a million dollars, but it doesn't mean that much to him, right? So uh, there's this like center right thing of like do it all in charity, and then the left would say, well, like it should just be systematically that people get the medicine or whatever. But okay. Well, I, yeah. I wouldn't say he was a socialist, but but he was definitely kind of a kind of a rad dude, right? And um, in the Gospel of Mark, which I consider to be the most uh, grounded in in historical facts, like Luke is Luke and John are kind of uh, kind of fanfic a little bit. There's a lot of uh, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz. It's like a, a, a political, well, especially Revelation, right? Re- Revelation's like the Wizard of Oz written in the first century. Yeah, for all you non-Catholics out there, we uh, transition between four books of the Bible, uh, depending on what year it is, or the Gospel, excuse me. Um, yeah, they do like a roulette. Yes. But I, but I like Mark because it, it seems like pretty down to earth, right? So in Mark, he gets up, he's hungry, he's hangry, he's having some cramps or something, he's not in a good mood. He curses a fig tree because there's no figs, and he loves figs. Then he walks into the temple and he sees everybody doing forex, and he flips out and he flips the tables, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, "Man, you guys got to take care of this guy. He's messing with our financial infrastructure, right?" So they execute him by the empire, right? The state and the uh, religious conservatives, in collaboration, put this guy to death for messing with their 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 money biz. Their issue, yeah, uh, their usury. Well, no, it wasn't. It wasn't usury. It was just wasn't usury. And not in that instance. Okay. It was just that they were doing the, the forex trading in, in the temple. In the temple. It was in the place of set, uh, worship. Right. So that was it. Yeah. So maybe some Bitcoiners think that I'm doing the same thing by bringing derivatives onto Bitcoin. Bitcoin's the temple. And, you well, know. This is how we're bringing it all back to Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. So are you bringing, are you bringing forex to Bitcoin? And well, so sure. it, seems like, it seems like your intent is to solve the, I don't want to say unforeseen, but the expected fee pressure problem that may come once the block subsidy right the reward is the subsidy and the fees so yeah the block yeah and in the, gets, in the meantime you, you could pay uh two and a half basis points as a taker on an oracleized bitcoin dollar swap which is probably how we're gonna 
get things going early on. And that's, uh, well, Darabit's moving to five basis points. They're, they're dipping their toes into that because, you know, somebody's got to compete, right? Seven and a half basis points is way too much. Um, <laughs> so we're going to take it even lower, right? And then when the, uh, the native environment gets going and people are more comfortable trading that, that's, gonna, that's one basis point. So I'm like trying to destroy all these dudes' profit margins. And, uh, so and then maybe we'll fill up some blocks and then we'll have to modulate out to the side chains. So as a trade layer user, what's my UX flow going to look like? Well, we have a little wallet uh, built in Vue, so it's kind of decent. And it's like an order book like you would see on typical exchange. And you type in your order and put it out there. And uh, we have a block explorer, so you can check that. And then um, when we have... Well, so the annoying thing about doing things with an OmniLayer style environment is you need UTXOs to get anything out, right? So you got to manage, you know, having a little bit of Bitcoin or Litecoin on, on the different addresses. So um, we came up with a way where you can trustlessly construct a transaction with a, like a third-party wallet hoster so that the wallet provider is feeding you the input and you could have your, pro your layer property just on a, a Bitcoinless or Litecoinless address. And then they build a TX where they'll feed you the input with, you know, the outputs that you want, including the op return. That and you have to sign it? Or something like that? You, the user, signs. Yes. Yeah, okay. there's no, there, it's totally non-custodial. So you're not constructing it, they're putting it in front of you, and then you sign it? No, it's it's kind of like a three, four-step handshake process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's a way where we can generate a little bit of revenue that's not seniorage revenue, the infamous uh, revenue model, um, just from, uh, you know, paying like five cents worth of Litecoin and getting 10 cents worth of, uh, of layer property as compensation, right? Um, so that's nice because it smooths things, uh, smooth things along. And then uh, later on when there are side chains, the wallet should be able to uh, key into one of those uh, of your choosing, of course. And then you could get um, the fast confirmation back on, on the side chain. So it's possible you could do like a hybrid trade uh, or you could just like deposit to the side chain and trade your, your heart out that way. So this be a little bit like the experience I have on a Casa node now where I send Bitcoin to my Casa node and then if I want to bring it to uh, HTLC contracts on the Lightning Network, I, I basically fund a Lightning Network channel. This is what we're, we're doing with TradeLayer is you put Bitcoin on your, basically you'd lock it up in a side chain and then you'd, you'd get be able to spend that Bitcoin and denominate it in whatever token is running on TradeLayer and then use that on your decentralized exchange? Well, if you're actually putting Bitcoin on a multi-sig address that's run by the sidechain validators, then you'd be doing it BitMEX style where you're depositing Bitcoin and you withdraw Bitcoin, right? You yeah. don't have to mess with the other, the other stuff, right? Um, and then uh, th there's a number of applications for these sidechains, right? So ensuring zero comp payments is one, doing an, a hybrid on-chain thing is another. I don't know if that's going to be as popular. Doing custodial Bitcoin is another pledging your your layer property is sort of a cousin of that um and then longer term it's nice because um you want to have a, a lightning watchtower that is reliable and if they don't do what they're supposed to do you throw down this proof of byzantine failure on them right and then you get you get compensated that way so they're they're taking they're really taking the risk as a, a watchtower so um so is this a way to strengthen watchtowers absolutely yeah i mean mm -hmm. i i could see um on chain and uh, the ALL total environment being worth whatever it's going to be worth. And, uh, you know, you get a certain amount of on-chain things and the fees go up. People start modulating it. 
Um, and then I think when BACT eventually gets their yeah, regulatory approval, um, which is going to be a more complex road than, than most people think, but it'll happen. Don't hold some, your breath. Sometime in the next year and a half, maybe. Um, and so on, right? And they're embracing the lightning. I think ultimately Bitcoin is going to be the preferred wholesale finance tool. And I think uh, if you're doing like lightning network derivatives, um, well, Lightning's kind of weird, right? Because it doesn't have its own blockchain. So it's kind of almost like state channels in a way, right? I mean, mm -hmm. but there's payment channels, right? So state channels just add in more, more metadata that you want to be signing off on. Um, but because it's bilateral in that way, the latency could be quite low. So you could get a lot, a lot of volume in Lightning Network derivatives. And, um, and then if uh, TradeLayer is serving a good purpose in backing up these side chains uh, pre-masked, um, so that you can ensure that, right? And also in that case, the, the watchtower is kind of like the local Darabit or the local BitMax. They're, they're keeping track because people are using leverage in these things. Otherwise, what, going long, you know, you want to have a little leverage, right? That's what, that's what greases the wheels, right? So then you got to manage the uh, clearing risk between all those, those lightning nodes, right? Um, so ultimately, I could see, okay, maybe there's like a billion dollars at entry layer would be great. SEC, this is not a, you know, I'm not making a promise to anybody here. We'd be, we'd be, I would love to see that. Um, and then maybe we have like $20 billion a day in Lightning Network swaps. And um, if the math around manipulating the, the feeds and trade layer, manipulating these markets to skew that is concave so that it's like every basis point of manipulation costs like more and more money because there's a lot of guys standing with passive orders that you gotta you gotta plow through, so you start disincentivizing bad behavior, right? Well, and and like I'm t if I'm talking about like a one billion dollar a day environment that's providing data feed to a twenty billion dollar a day environment, the only way that's gonna work is if there is this concavity, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something that uh, we might get around to with my my math PhD on uh, putting out the, putting out a paper on that. Um, I'm hoping that's true. I don't know, but we'll 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 figure it out. We'll do some math, and if I'm wrong, <laughs> then we'll we'll publish that too. You know, whatever. Um, but yeah, this might be how the ecosystem ends, ends up looking uh, when we go, okay, let's say like Bitcoin is $5 trillion. Wow, awesome, right? Oh, so what's that? Like, uh, it's like 100 B now at around 5K, so. It'd be like 330,000 or something like that. Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's, yeah. it's, this, this is, these are the sort of, you know, McAfee's still gonna be eating his, his dick. His but, dick, um, he's gonna be eating his dick. Yeah, he, he should have nuanced it more, but. Um, well, my, my co-founder and I were, were talking about this, and uh, his theory is that he'll take one of those little uh, cryo things that urologists use to treat uh, sores and, and, like, pinch a little bit of skin and freeze that and then eat that. And that's technically eating your own dick. <laughs> but but with, the, with the added benefit that like you, the wart you still have shit? it afterwards. Yeah. yeah, but you get to sati satisfy that technically. I don't want to know what John McAfee's dick looks like at this point. Well, whatever. They all kind of look the same. It's like yeah, that's not, true. It's like the least interesting thing in the world. Yeah. But yeah, it keeps keeps the race going. Um, anywho, yeah, McAfee's having some troubles. That's I, I know a lot of older guys in their sixties and seventies who are, who are interesting, but uh, that, that's that guy takes the cake. Yeah, meth will do it to you. You know. Well, no, he was really into uh, the bath salts. Oh yeah, bath salts. Excuse yeah, me. the designer drugs. Yeah, that was just... like two thousand eleven. Yeah. Come a long way since then. McAfee's uh, <laughs> been pumping a lot of shit coins. He's not doing bath salts anymore. Oh, so coin, yeah, he went from bath salts to coin of the day. Um, not I'm not bad. sure which one is uh, more problematic. <sighs> I don't know. I'm not sure which one's more addictive. That's the question. Right. The free uh, shit coin money or, mm. or the, 
the invigorating rush of a bath salt high? Well, I've never tried bath salts. I have tried um, taking a shit coin that I was holding that just got listed on Polo or something and, and selling it and selling into the, <laughs> the frenzy. And that is very addictive. And um, so, you know, this is the, you know, if you're doing, if you're a founder, it's like, okay, are you going to try to be a leader? Are you going to be centralized? Well, no, nah, I'm like going to publish this thing and you know, we might have a roadmap where we have some activations and then we like drop the whole, we drop the mic and we're like, all right, that's it, you know, but, uh, pretty much committing to the monetary policy. And, you know, so I, I you know, went back to that spreadsheet a few times cause you only, you only get one shot, right? Uh, that's like the Satoshi style, right? And his monetary mm-hmm. policy was pretty simple. So it wasn't such a, I, I don't think he overthought it very much. Right. I don't think he thought much about it, especially if you take into consideration the havings and, yeah, it's, it's rather inelegant, and yet in, it's you yeah, have elegant. half the supply released in four years, and then. But then we get these four-year cycles. I mean, it kind of worked, right? So yeah. that was a simple enough. Yeah, it's photo. a great FOMO creator. I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there was no art behind it, I don't think, but I think uh, it played out for the best. Uh, in a way, it was artful because of how simple it was. It, yes. Yeah. So, so my thing's a little bit more more curvy, but uh, you know, because I've been doing game design, I, I gotta, I can't help myself. But uh, the other thing is, um, all right, so the way that we uh, capitalize this for ourselves, me and my co-founders and, like, I got, like, a few investors that are, like, small time, um, is we have a, a vesting token, which is basically, like, it's not a, secu- it's not a tokenized security. It's, like, a, a token that is a security, basically. So that's, like, closely held, and we can, like, sell that to, to accredited investors or, or reg-ass guys. And um, that earn that melts into the the native coin as as volume occurs on chain so we have to actually make this thing go and it's like a a logarithmic volume scale so and it's like an s curve so to get up that curve we have to get up to like billions of dollars so your incentives are very much tied right and it's like why did i spend all my fucking money doing this and then make (laughs) my guys spend like a month and a half or two like programming it to make it even harder for us to cash out well you know I guess that's just how much I want uh, Bitcoin Twitter guys to like me. I don't know. I mean, I, I, think, I think it's good design. You know, I, I think it, uh, it solves a lot of the problems that, that we've seen with these things. And then also, um, it's going to end up being a pretty small part of the, the ALL and total money supply by the time it actually does totally best, you know? Yeah. So that's uh, where I'm trying to set the bar. And then also, I am, I'm going on the record here. Uh, I'm going to take the Byzantine challenge... Two thirds of my founder position, I, and I, I made money in seventeen. I plowed it into this thing. It's pretty much most of the money that I got in the world at this point. But I'm committing to holding two thirds of it, uh, maybe not indefinitely, but for like thirty, forty, fifty years. Um, and I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and actually put these in time lock addresses. Oh, and uh, yeah, so it's that not is just, it's not putting just your idle. money where your mouth is. Yeah, I'm not just idly virtue signaling here, which um, is uh, which is a very common, common thing in this. Yeah. Industry. Well, yeah, it's easy to write a check that, that you can't cash. It's easy right? to write a tweet that you can't cash. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, in the spur of the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, maybe before I do that, I want to get to the point in the, uh, in the roadmap where we implement a forward transaction. So you could you can mark an address where any um, yield that accrues to the DUSD or any uh, interest. So if we have like a lending mechanism and I'm holding ALL or total like long, uh, I can put it up so that people can short sell it. So go ahead, you think, you think it's a shit coin, man? Pay me some interest and, and short sell, short sell my, my stash or, or other people's stash, but you know, 
be on that order book. So that way I can get uh, income off of that principal, but I can't like dump on retail, right? My grandkids maybe could dump on retail. I mean, that's by then it's like whatever. And I, I did a, a spreadsheet going out to like 2058 or 2059, going looking 40 years or whatever it is, like 30. Yeah, it's like 40. Yeah. Yeah, I'm drinking years. too much scotch. To do the, yeah, yeah it's like 40 years in the yeah. future. And uh, plotting out. The, the quick math on Tales from the Crypt is always bad. And it's yeah. May, so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it's like Jeff Garzik said, it's built to last. But this really is built to last because it's on Bitcoin. If Bitcoin dies, my money dies. And if it, and also Bitcoin lives, but my thing doesn't like you know that that I've originated doesn't get anywhere, then then it also fizzles out and doesn't get any income. So, okay, so at least I'm uh, relatively principled, I guess. This is no, how I'm trying to rep. If you're time locking it, it's very principled. I've I've told people that I've time locked some Bitcoin. They'd be like, "Are you fucking kidding me, dude?" Time locking takes some fucking balls, man. Yeah, because it's like, oh, I hope this is around. So you really got to believe it, you know? Yeah. No, and it's. So what I'm trying to get at is like you. It seems like you're trying to benefit Bitcoin again. Absolutely. I am. Uh, I'm still not completely. I don't completely understand what's going on. That's like where I'm at right now. Like so. Like in regards to trailer, in regards to like the macro. In regards to the macro, so let's go back to shitting on MakerDAO and their. Well, it's not shit on MakerDAO because, like, um, like my friend Rick Dudley, who's one of the smartest guys in the space, and he just and he could be doing some great things for Bitcoin. Somebody go fund him. Uh, really smart guy. They're one of his biggest clients. I don't want to say shit on MakerDAO, but I think that's not shit on MakerDAO. Let's compare what you're doing to MakerDAO. Yeah, because MakerDAO so, is the hottest chick on the block right now in this. Space. Well, yeah, because it's a native dollar unit on yeah. on Ethereum, right? Yeah. So. Um, Make your DAO's a little bit problematic because, A, you're not earning off of your DAI unless you go put it on one of these other services. Seems like nobody wants to use DAI. It seems like everybody's just looking to get the leverage. Well, that's that's a core use case. Or you could, like, put your ETH up and or, go pay your rent, right? And then you're leveraged that way. Yeah. So it's like the, the secured credit card model, which has also been, been catching on. There's a number of places that let you do that. Uh, or you could take it and go buy more ETH, right? And then you're you're sort of uh, taking a margin loan out. Um, but uh, the ETH-focused investors that I follow seem to believe that Augur and Compound and these other things will help it to gain more more use, right? And that makes sense. Like you this make is bets exact- in USD. On well, yeah, I mean, this is what I'm swinging. Is like, yeah, you, you got a good dollar base, so now you go trade derivatives with it and you do what you do whatever portfolio you want, right? So I think that will help, but structurally they're problematic. So A, they've got this Oracle problem and they've had this centralized federation of, of feeds, right? Now they're trying to decentralize, factoring that out a little bit more. If you know how to do uh, double negatives with the Augur Oracles, you can really mess with those markets. Yeah, I, I, I don't doubt it. Um, and I mean, it, Oracle problem is a long-term problem that I, I think can only be solved with the game theory around putting your money on the table, on chain, and and having that firm up the market so like rep has this thing where you got to vote you use it or you lose it like in a 40 year old virgin is it, <laughs> is it true that if you don't use it you lose it well in, in the case of rep it is true yeah i've that, held rep before it feels like a uh, like a big sandbag i've held it in my hand yeah well <laughs> if, if you own a lot of rep it feels uh feel like a bag of sand also and um you know like when I saw everything that went wrong with 
uh, MasterCoin, and it's like money fucks people's brains up, man. I mean, look at Donald Trump. Like, I, I don't want to be too polarizing. We already talked about Jesus, so why not? Um, I think he's doing a few. I think he's doing some good things economically for the country. It's hard to say. It's also hard to over. You know, maybe the president doesn't really affect the economy that much. It's, I like I'm, the tax cut. I'm in the latter camp. Yeah, but but he's a guy who got every he got all the money ever ever wanted, all the pleasures he ever wanted, and his brain is trained around this, you know. And if I had not invested all most of my money in Trade Layer, and I was just sitting on it and picking up basis points and, and playing a lot of PlayStation Four, you know, I I could have become one of these guys, right? Or, or if I, uh, you know, if I was like Calvin Ire and I was uh, getting on, getting a, a different crew of chicks and every every time I'm, I'm pictured in different countries, you know, maybe that's not the best thing for my, my life or my soul, if you, or my conscious, my, my material consciousness, never mind a soul, whatever. But like, eh, maybe, maybe I, I should be a better person. You know, I have a little bit of challenge in my life, train my brain to not be totally like, oh, the pleasures, like give me the more pleasures. Don't be in hedonist. You know? Yeah. And then, you know, these ICOs, it's like totally disgusting. I saw it happen with, with MasterCoin. And then you, you can't, like, you can't know what you're paid to not know, right? So like in the case of MakerDAO, they got the $600 million asset and they don't want that to go down by $300 million. That's, you know, those, they feel pretty rich. They would feel a lot less rich if it were valued uh, at a, you know, what if it was $30 million? Probably that's a reasonable valuation for MakerDAO also, right? Um, and then they've got this value capture thing. So I think MakerDAO kind of has the cart before the horse in what serves, you know, the original ICO holders and the insiders who are holding Maker, which is pretty closely held, and it trades a pretty small float relative to its its total thing, and uh, then they voted to raise the stability fee again and again. It's at like fifteen percent now or something like that. Right? I think it was like fourteen, but. Uh, yeah. So this is almost like negative interest rates, really. Like the the whole idea of the IMF fixing negative rates so that everybody goes to restaurants more or whatever well, um, is is pretty much the stability fee. It's like you know, but a little bit different. The right? thing that confuses me with so MakerDAO and Die and what's the like it's extended to other similar protocols. The thing that sort of stands out to me up to this point. MakerDAO in particular, we're stick with MakerDAO. Like it just seems like enthusiasts trying to prove a use case in a use case that will not be used by the masses, which is the over, like literally the over collateralization. Like you need 150 percent collateral to get a commensurate loan from right. MakerDAO. Which any re like this is technology to uh, to help the masses and. The average, uh, at least that's how it's marketed, and but it's not very capital efficient, is it? Right? No, exactly. Nobody so, wants to put down one hundred fifty percent capital to get one hundred percent. Like, well, so let's go to the swap example on Bitmax, for example, yeah. right? So it's inverse quoted. So you've got this convexity going against you if you're long, right? So if I buy a Bitcoin long on Bitmax and I have one point five BTC in on the account then um, my liquidation price is going to be, I think, closer to the 50% line, right? Um, and unfortunately, your downside is like infinite BTC whenever you go long one of these these inverse quota things. And that's how people can have the synthetic dollar is that they don't have this risk on the upside, right? Um, so the 150 number kind of has some cachet, but the difference 
is that when that guy gets margin called, somebody else can pick it up, and then my hedge is getting cleared through to that guy, right? So there's, there's an arb there. There's this uh, daisy chain going on. Yeah. Well, there. So sometimes it's quite good when you. Uh, I remember in sixteen there were a few dips, and, and you see these big red orders on Bitmax. And um, the number one trader on BitMEX that year, I think, made like a hundred or, or several hundred Bitcoin off of a few Bitcoin. Was it Angela BTC? Might have been him. And his strategy was he he just went mad leveraged long uh, on those margin call stacks. And uh, so, you know, so and and that's semantic fragility to it, that that's actually profitable putting in, in that liquidity. But uh, like the, the problem with MakerDAO is that your 150 percent is with yourself uh, for one thing. And the other is that it's like this loan thing. So like a swap, you know, like doing things with a derivative, it, it like kind of releases energy because instead of having to like actually like do a loan, you represent like the math of it mm -hmm. and, and it's like much, much cleaner. Right. And then you can also, you know, have this whole chain of other peeps that, that get margin called one after another. And you're still sitting pretty from 6,000 to 3000, uh, feeling like you still have your, your dollars intact. Um, so, you could say it's capital efficiency is really more a problem about clearing. And I think MakerDAO needs to pivot to a swap space model in order to keep going. Um, so the problem there is you've got this incredibly huge, you got 600 million reasons not to do it, right? Because then um, you, you would be earning on die based on whatever the prevailing swap rate is. Uh, so where's the maker model? Where's the where's the business model for maker? Well, they could um, have a fee in minting it, and it could burn some maker or something like that. You know, so th they could pivot to that, and uh, probably they will. Like my my hope is uh, that the innovations that we put forth with the derivatives clearing catches on in Lightning Network and, and elsewhere. And um, my hope with the uh, sidechains innovation is that it helps the rootstock guys like get their ship in order. Uh, I don't know if Blockstream will take advantage of it, but, you know, it might help them, uh, might help Cosmos. Um, and, and then, you know, I think, yeah, maybe these guys, MakerDAO might, might figure out that you got to do it this way eventually. So good for them. You know, people don't need to lose their shirts. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, they're, they're like so much richer than me, those fucking guys. Like, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, well, I think another thing the freaks would like to know is like, why did you choose to build on Bitcoin and not Ethereum? I've just always been a Bitcoin guy, man, you know, but uh, more than that. Is it um, ideology or practicality? It's uh, well, it's a little bit of both, but um, I think uh, Nick's, Nick Carter's done a great job uh, detailing the fundamentals behind Bitcoin. So for one thing, you've got the brand. The brand is this, you know, and Jack Dorsey appreciates this. Did you actually have Jack Dorsey come into this apartment, by the no, way? No, I went to him. Ah, I, yeah, I went yeah. to San Francisco. Yeah, sure. I wish I, he'll be in this apartment at some point. Jack, if you're listening, <laughs> the invite's open. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Jack Dorsey gets it, right? And uh, today I just bought uh, BitcoinWisdom.com, which was apparently... I saw that. I saw you tweeting about yeah, that. Yeah, it was, it was available, you know, and that, there's like funny brand tangentiality to that. And um, the idea that there's no like oligarch behind it, which is kind of what makes BSV so, so fetid other than like the impracticality of like 128 gigabyte blocks, obviously, <laughs> but um, that that's very compelling. And, and it's like... There's a lot of, uh, you know, Christian guys who are, are in the Bitcoin maximalist sect. And I think that the reason for that is there's some analogy between like the Holy Spirit and the Bitcoin spirit. The Holy Spirit. You know, um, like Bitcoin is something that's bigger than us. 
that we can, uh, you know, benefit from in a, you know, a nice conservative way. Like it makes us money. We can feed our families by being hodlers. We're better off, et cetera. But, but also it's, it's there, there's this altruism to it. And that was like what the Occupy movement had. Right. And Bitcoin started to get real traction around Bitcoin's that. Bitcoin's the true Occupy baby. It's the, yeah, it's, uh, well, pretty soon wall street's going to try and occupy Bitcoin and in the process make Bitcoin, uh, even, even richer. Right. So, um, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, it was Occupy Wall Street. So now I'm saying that as uh, well. So this whole thing about the time value of money. Right. So like everybody rails in the Fed. Right. I used to be a gold bug. Oh, the Fed, the Fed. And then I'm like in the Bay Area getting paid pretty well out of VC money. And I'm like, oh, man, maybe Bernanke's OK. But the, the, what's the problem with the Fed? Right. Is that they take what should be a global price discovery process around the time value of money, which is like the most fundamental price discovery process, right? So you had Nick Batian yesterday mm-hmm. and, and talked about this. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, with the lightning derivatives, I think you can get more leveraged and there's, there's different rates. So you've got the rate from like quarterly futures. You've got the like wildly volatile interest rate on, on the typical perpetual swaps which is sort of at the like T-bill side of the curve. Um, the interest rate floor perpetual swaps that I am working on will, will have much, you know, you have the 0% and then it, it won't be as high when things are good, right? So I would say that's even more like in the present because you're, you don't have to worry about like a drawdown from the negative rates. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are time values that get priced by how much FOMO there is in buying the swaps and, and so on, right? Um, and I think that is, even if it's relatively illiquid early on, I think that's superior to, uh, whether it's the maker holders or it's the fed board we're getting fixing more, that value. We're getting more a- accurate time value. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And well, okay. So with like BitMEX swaps in the bull market, things were just wild and it's speculative mania and the Koreans are jumping in the Japanese are jumping in. And, you know, it's sort of like what time value needs that needs to be for that day, you know, like and the rates were crazy. You get point three, seven, five in eight hours on the upside and then the market crashes and then it's like negative 20 basis points on the downside. Right. It's really wild. Um, So with a a more attenuated interest rate, what I call the grandpa swap, or you've got this interest rate floor, it's it's even more thoughtful, I think. Mm -hmm. It's very experimental, so we'll see. It's more emergent, too, as well. Yeah, right. It's not decreed on the market. It's more uh, derived from the economic activity on the network. It's not 12 dudes in a room being like, here's the rate. 12 Angry Men. Yeah. You know, the famous movie. Yeah. Um, By the way, attenuated, great word. Haven't heard that one in a while. Oh, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, there's front running, right? So then, mm-hmm. you know, indexes do their rebalances on this a 30 day window. To this is a, that. thank you for saying front running. This is a question I need to ask you because you're running a DEX. Miners front running on DEXs. Um, yeah, it's a problem at some scale, right? So that's why you need the side chains. So let's jump in. Yeah. So let's jump into the problem. So is, would this be a hypothetical problem? Like, Zero uh, X or Uniswap, where the miner is aggregating the transactions, can see what people are trying to trade within those transactions. Yeah, I called a relay on. attack where they don't relay your TX and they, <laughs> they spit one out instead, right? Right. So and that that doesn't even need like selfish mining or anything. How expensive. would you How would you describe this situation? Like I, when you put out a transaction to Bitcoin, it spits out to the eight nodes that your node is connected with. Or it goes from your front-end wallet client to some server, and their node spits it out. And then they do the validation, and then they spit it out to eight others, and it percolates. 
and there's a certain number of hops. Um, there's the speed of light as a limitation, and then it takes a certain amount of seconds to get in through enough nodes that you're quote unquote in the mempool, which is kind of a moving target, right? So the original Omni um, Dex matching is based on mempool timestamp, um, but it's not atomic until you get the confirmation. So mempool timestamp is that, and that's like so you're we're talking about bat or putting transactions in a block just in a normal block but the mempool that's sort of contingent on any particular node too right each node has a particular mempool. right so if i'm a miner who's also a trader and i run my i have a different client that has a little bit of a different logic mm -hmm. i don't relay those transactions i go oh here's a good front run i'll take that instead and then if you're trying to support liquidity in the market as, as a passively quoting market maker who's quoting all the time uh, in addition to the cost of canceling and replacing that, you have adverse selection. So people aren't trading with you too much, generating revenue when things are quiet. And then when the market moves, people are trying to pick you off for however many basis points they can. Um, so I think early on, you could do it raw and you could get a little bit of liquidity. Um, Ethereum with lower block times, uh, I've, like I used Ether Delta back in the uh, the bull run when I was flipping them, them shit corns. And, um, you know, it's still kind of a clunky user experience. And, and with Litecoin, it's even slower, but it's, it's better than doing it in Bitcoin blocks. So, yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm trying to keep pushing for it. I brought in a, a new developer who's uh, on crypto Twitter as, as a sort of centrist uh, spec skeptic. I won't, I won't drop his name, but uh, he's a pretty smart guy. So we're going to try to keep moving forward with this, this proof of Byzantine failure thing. Um, I was just talking to Rick Dudley yesterday about collaborating. Uh, Vulcanized DB is, is doing some uh, two-way peg type stuff, mm -hmm. so that's interesting. You should bring him on, man. He's a really smart guy. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start reaching out to more people and like just make sure I can get this thing moving. So later in the year, I guess we can get side chains out. Um, so like early on, it maybe doesn't matter that much. It's all very experimental, but yeah, you, you need the side chain uh, confirmation and the, the caching aspect of that to ameliorate uh, these these weaknesses in, in the raw infrastructure, you know? Yeah. So where does this all end up in your mind? Do we do we end up in a world of thousands of shit coins? Do we end up in a world of Bitcoin nah. and thousands of side chains? Um, yeah, more that, I think. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know about thousands, but definitely like dozens or hundreds. Yeah. Um, well, what I don't want to live in is a world where you can't even go buy a cupcake with cash because they're afraid of being classified as a money transmitter. You know what I'm saying? Uh, or a world where it's like China's one belt, one road, dominating Africa, dominating Central Asia, uh, influencing Europe, uh, doing real-time uh, tax excise, and uh, real time seizing all of your money because of something you tweeted or, well, they don't have put something you put on Weibo, I guess. Um, and then Brussels, uh, in more in the mainstream, cause you know, the China, you go to oh, China, you know, well, okay. China's its own thing. I mean, they're going to encompass like a proper 40 odd percent of the world economy before you long, but okay. We're not China, right? We're good Americans, right? So in Brussels, they've, they've been behind uh, common reporting standards, mm -hmm. um, which is, uh, probably better than FATCA cause FATCA is very like American, uh, exceptionalism oriented. It's like you got to give America the tax info, but they're not going to give you any tax info. So common reporting standards is everybody in the OECD does this, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're doing any kind of financial business, you've got to, you know, KYC everybody, right? There's no more of this, like, do us a shells thing and, and blah, 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 right? And um, the classic thing is, like, uh, Wyoming or Nevada LLC, where you're, like, this nice American financial services guy and your client is, like, some Chinese guy or, or whatever, 
and it's a single member LLC and they just put their money in there and then you can like help them invest in stocks or something, right? So the IRS in 2017 started forcing you to report every inflow and outflow of that just in case they want to join CRS later, which mm-hmm. under Trump is unlikely, but, you know, because Trump is like, no, America should be the number one tax haven in the world. Of course, it's good business, right? I mean, that's like the Trump mindset. I can't argue with it. Um, it's like the lesser of two evils. Um, of course, morally, like, should people be able to embezzle money through corruption and then go get into Vanguard funds and, and sit pretty? Or sit uh, in New York real estate or whatever. Sure, Vancouver, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, you know, I mean, like, it's it's a reasonable idea that people should have some accountability if you're paying taxes. But it's a slippery slope, right? So what if we get to, like, common reporting standards for trusted computing? Because now you don't need accounts, per se. You just need to run a Tenderman validator, and you can be doing things for people. Well, now we're going to, like, get every server farm in Seychelles to have a, a certificate. And, you know, like, we, we can end up with this panopticon internet in the name of, of people paying their fair share, right? That seems somewhat impractical, though. How practical is that? I hope it's very impractical, right. but but you never know. We could be there in 10 years if, if we don't do our job as Bitcoiners to uh, move the needle in the direction of financial sovereignty. Uh, all right. Thank you for saying that. Let's let's wrap up on this topic. Yeah. No I futuro sin libertad. Yeah. Well, that's it, isn't it? And how are we doing? Do you think we're doing okay? <sighs> Man. I don't know. So in 2014, I'm hanging out in System D, you know, living off of cash and Bitcoin. And, you know, the Argentine government was like the enemy, right? They were making everything hard, but they weren't like enforcing too much. They didn't really have their their data game together. Um, They did start requiring KYC from my man Dante. And then he like exit scammed in in late 2015, I think. So (laughs) it's like a good time to exit scam is when the KYC overhead start start building up. and back then, it was like, yeah, System D, it's going to be like in Africa, it's going to be Latin America, it's going to be this cash economy. Um, and then you fast forward five years, okay, so common reporting standards is out. Um, you know, the, the internet panopticons are rolling along. There are mesh net projects that are, are very promising. Shout out Gotenna. What's up? Shout out Gotenna. Yeah, yeah, Gotenna, and uh, there's a few other ones. Um, Orchid is, is another one. Orchid, yep. So that's very, very important. That's, like, strategic, right? So that, that's a ray of hope. Um, but the slow, you know, boiling frog scenario of centralized bureaucrats just tightening up on everybody's financial privacy, they've made progress in the last five years. And Bitcoin's made progress. Bitcoin got to be a serious asset. It got super liquid. It got all these financial services orbiting around it. Um, it got, it's going to absorb cool R&D from the Ethereum side and, and augment its technical capabilities. So that's okay. That's pretty good. Um, but it's totally up in the air at this point. It's anyone's game. The, the game could go to Big Brother. Or the game could go to Little Brother, or Little Sister. Be feminist, you know? yeah. Yeah. Um, I think uh, you know women are are jerked around in the developing world. Their husbands take their money and stuff. So having financial sovereignty at a micro level, we're not talking about like the geopolitical chessboard. We're just talking about cultural. Shout out our girl Janie Yak in Afghanistan fighting a good fight. It's oh, weird. I should follow her. I don't know her. She's a, a great advocate, a great Bitcoin advocate, a Bitcoin carnivore too. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, um, we're we're like flexitarian, I guess. Like we try to eat more plants, but <laughs> that's I'm where a, I differ from some of these guys. I'm an omnivore. I'll eat whatever. Sure, as long as, long as my gut doesn't get too big, right? I'm cool with it. 
Yeah, just like less less carbs is definitely smart. Yeah, less yeah. carbs. It, yo, when you come from Philadelphia where they got good hoagies and you're just eating turkey and, and bacon hoagies every day, uh, <laughs> Philadelphia is a fat city because of the bread. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, so so I say there's no future without liberty, but you know, in the like multiverse, like there is a future without. There are many futures without liberty, but they're not good futures. Well, yeah, I wouldn't want to live in them, right? No. So they'll they'll be happy to execute me, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> I won't have to worry about it. I'm I'm optimistic, but I do think there needs to be like a more of a concerted effort, more of an awakening, if you will. Uh, mm. I think more people need to wake up. The the next the fifth great awakening. The fifth great awakening. Yeah, the fifth tur- or no the fourth turning into the fifth great awakening. You know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, maybe all the young millennials who are supporting socialism or they want basic income, and then if we got that, they'd be like, well, maybe I should like take part of this check and and buy Bitcoin with it. You know, maybe we can like it doesn't have to be like ah oh, these are these leftist kids and these are these like uh, like Austrian uh, libertarian Bitcoin carnivore guys. Like maybe there's something in the middle that can really appeal broadly where our generation in the spirit of undoing the corruption that we perceive in our our forebears, uh, we embrace decentralized finance as a way to kind of meet in the middle. Right. Because it's not like oligarchic capitalism. You know, a lot of things leftists decry are the things that like libertarians decry as well. Right. Right. And so I think this is the real middle path moving the Overton window towards more liberty uh, and, and it's, you know, it's one of the best ways to do it. Um, so we just got to keep plugging away, man. Right. And it's not, it's not even, uh, I feel like Bitcoin's like taking that back too. I think, I feel like Bitcoin's very, uh, it's not passive. It's very proactive. It's like you're proactively thinking like I fucking want financial sovereignty. And the only way to do that, uh, in my mind right now is Bitcoin. You could argue gold, but. Or Litecoin, eh? Or, uh, LTC guys out there, huh? No, screw Litecoin. Litecoin <laughs> has not had any development like for the last like six months. Well, so that's one thing I'm worried about. Patrick. We're doing some development on Litecoin. That's though. one thing I'm worried about. Patrick is is a world of a uh, multi coin shit coinery that sort of bastardizes the the glimmering ray of hope that Bitcoin presents. You know, nah, like the goodwill out, the the cream will float to the top. I I, I would like to see a top five of, of Bitcoin. Um, total Litecoin, ALL, and then maybe Ethereum is still around, and or Monero maybe, maybe Monero. So the uh, the guys at um, Tavi, they're doing like a layer protocol on Monero, and they're saying that it's in the spirit of selling tickets, right? Well, why don't we just do that on on OmniLayer, right? Um, I think it's kind of a Trojan horse so they can get this kind of functionality going on on Monero and have like a really. Do you think Monero's too bloated at this point? Well, I don't like this business of hard forking to yeah, disenfranchise the CapEx investors that make your layer secure. It's kind of like Trotskyism, you know, like permanent revolution. Yeah, that and then if we're going to like what's Monero's reason for being privacy? Like, are there enough privacy assurances if if short signatures mass becomes a thing like we were discussing earlier? Like, is Monero even worthwhile at that point where you have like so there is a threshold of privacy assurances that need to be met where... I, yeah, I would argue Monero becomes useless. Well, we'll see. I'm not that much of a maximalist, um, yeah. but I do think it won't be like thousands of, of crappy coins. I think it might be like a few. I mean, right. You got the dollar, you got the euro, and then you've got like all these pesos out there. Right. So the shit coins are like the pesos of the world, but you still got the euro. Right. And the euro's got problems. So euro might be like Ethereum. Right. They got everybody like doing this uh, governance dance to keep it alive. 
Um, well, is this a product of the fiat system? And are we extrapolating ideas or frameworks, mental frameworks of the system we grew up in into the system that we're building? So you're saying we're all too spoiled by growing up with banking? That no, I'm saying we... we no, no, we view uh, uh, the quote-unquote currency competition that exists in the traditional financial system, euros, yen, dollars, um, and we analogize that to uh, currency competition in a Bitcoin world where I would yeah. argue that uh, in a Bitcoin world, it's completely different because these currencies in these given countries are decreed to people you have to use these currencies within these borders well and they are scams right like yeah. the argentine peso is a scam the brazilian real is a scam chile has got kind of a clever thing though which might uh, give austrian economists uh armchair austrian economists i guess out there uh, some, i'm sitting in an armchair yeah there you go uh so it's very appropriate um so chile uh, had this chronic inflation right and they had the socialism and they had the facho and then when he left, they introduced uh, this thing called the uh, Unidad de Fomento, which means uh, unit of fomentation. And they came up with an inflation index, and then they all of the mortgages would be in this this currency. So what happened is uh, in 1990, they had like 20-something uh, percent inflation. In 1991, they had 16% inflation. In 1992, they had 12% inflation. In 1990, I'm not, the numbers aren't exact, but by 1998, it was 4%. And, it, and you're, you're in the ballpark of sanity, you know? So mm -hmm. it really, really worked. And the reason why it worked is that it, it allowed the banking sector to capitalize itself with positive real yield. So I think um, thinking about it as like Bitcoin money good, dollar money bad, is kind of problematic. Like money is all about flow and it's all about organizing human behavior over time and colonizing the future so that we arrive at the future that has more economic organization and value, right? Right. Then so positive real yield lets you know that you're actually doing that when you allocate capital, right? Uh, so as positive real yield is increasingly dislocated by the late cycle of you know Goldilocks central bank manipulation, um, I think that the uh, like dollarized Bitcoin could come to replace like the U.S. Treasury bond as as like the safe haven asset based on positive real yield. So is this more like a free banking system that you're arguing for, where you can have like synthetic currencies on top of Bitcoin that sort of derive themselves from Bitcoin? Yeah, ultimately they do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the way I mean, ultimately the way it's going to scale to hundreds of billions or trillions in that kind of float is probably going to be at the wholesale level in the Lightning Network. Or in this, like, we, we won't even call it the Lightning Network because, like, the Lightning Network is, right, like, two of two multi-sigs, right? Well, what, of the, what about these uh, two-thirds of, of N multi-sigs that are these uh, sidechain channels, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they all, they're all going to interact, like, physics, and, and it's just going to be Bitcoin, right? Right. And um, It's going to be pushed to the background. Yeah. Well, yeah, ideally, the UX will be really simple and, and all of the, the wholesale stuff won't be out like retailer re retailers that go to the ATM and get cash out. Don't have to think about the repo market. Right. All right. So I guess the ending question on this yeah. is, are we building a uh, roided up replication of the system that we currently live on and trying to get away from or a uh, more conservative and uh, risk averse system? I think it's more conservative because you can measure the systemic risk of a contract in real time based on on-chain data. So that by itself gets you a leg up from what we had pre-Dodd-Frank. Um, and post-Dodd-Frank, it's like very cloistered in these these CEFs, you know? Mm -hmm. And it like doesn't really matter because you're trading with like Citibank. So it's like, you know, 
a Citibank, you know, bankruptcy is a bigger deal than just at that level. Um, so I think the accountability gets us there. I think uh, having a scarce money base at the bottom of the pyramid gets us there as well. So I think this, that's the most important part of, of what scares Bitcoiners. They talk about like derivative markets and stuff like that. Like the difference between... Oh, are we going to dilute Bitcoin synthetically? Yes. Okay, so I read an article about this for The yes, Block. Yes, this uh, is the question. Thank you for asking the question I've been thinking of my whole time. Yeah, and I... I and not articulate. So um, after the financial crisis, uh, quantitative finance figured out um, that uncollateralized trades have a cost. And they um, combined a credit default swap, uh, sort of credit optionality like the put option on credit yeah so a credit um, default swap was basically the insurance policy on the mortgage-backed securities that were yeah like faced. i own some stocks i buy a put on it that cost me something i own a yeah. bunch of bonds i buy a credit default CDS, swap. yes so the guy who's selling the credit default swap is getting less yield for the same risk than if he just held the bond but don't worry because they're inflating you know they're selling a lot and they're just you know aig, uh, AIG. almost went belly up with that right yeah so some okay. people would argue 2008 was a run on AIG. That's what quite a few others as well. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing is, everybody, a lot of them were swimming naked, right? They were super leveraged and it would have been this domino effect. Um, but what they did is they took the math from pricing credit default swaps. They combined it with the math of pricing options, basically. And they figured out, OK, if you're going to do an uncollateralized trade and there's this window prior to delivery, they have to pay. They have to pay a premium. Mm -hmm. Right. So if they if they float off, well, whatever, we got the premium at least. Right. So they call that a counterparty value adjustment. So right around the time that that guy posted that article on the uh, lightning uh, dev list uh, saying that, you know, Light, Litecoin has no place in the Lightning network because the, the HTLCs have this uh, optionality risk that you're sort of writing a free call option. I, uh, I found something on uh, LinkedIn that was a slide share from a quant guy going over like the history of quanting stuff. I should go fish for uh, a link to that. I think every, some people might want to dig through that. It's, it's quite mathy, but uh, if, if you just kind of skip over the differential equations, it gives you the broad strokes. Um, so basically, they figured out how to do this. And then the most crazy derivative that exists is writing uh, a, counterparty, a counterparty value adjustment on a whole network of counterparties, right? Mm -hmm. So in the the article that I published on the block a couple of months ago, I was saying how in Lightning Network, of course this is permissionless tech, people can run other clients that operate more loosely, right? So you could um, pay a premium to take care of the counterparty risk in the, the time window of an HTLC to do you know Bitcoin to Litecoin. You could also do a counterparty value adjustment to float uh, a check just within the Bitcoin Lightning Network and get around this incredibly high redundancy rate that we're experiencing as a, as a limitation on it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so now, now we're starting to play with fire, right? But my thought is basically uh, you temporarily increase the money supply in this band, huh? right? Huh? Like, I mean, if, um, if I take how, my coin... How would you do this? Well, if I take my coin to BitMEX and somebody gets long, you know, they're holding synthetic Bitcoin, right? And I'm also holding a Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So you could say that that open interest in futures and swaps and, and call options even is some degree of inflation in, in Bitcoin, right? But it makes Bitcoin more useful and it's limited. And if yeah, it it's were limited to, get, to it's limited to the point where at which you get margin called and then right. So yeah. if it so it, there are checks and balances that that keep it from being truly inflationary in, yes. in that sense. Whereas in the legacy financial system that we've had today, you can you know write these things, write these things. The Fed's got your back, mm -hmm. right? We don't have that in Bitcoin. No, 
Now, I, I would argue that's beautiful. Yes, yes. absolutely. That's the, yeah. uh, well, that, that's what liberates us is that we have to be accountable for our own decisions, basically. Right? Yeah, it's or, the price of freedom. And coming back to liberty, um, there's no future without liberty. Like, what, like, outside of Bitcoin, like, what drives you towards this mentality? Um, well, I've always been kind of a freak, you know, yeah. As, <laughs> I've always been a nonconformist. Yeah. So, and, and my wife's the same way. She's just spent her whole life not doing anything anybody told her to do boss, which is why, uh, where we get along so well. And, uh, although we do, we do fight sometimes for, for that reason, but then we I fight with my wife. We resolve it. Well. well, there's arbitration and we do a, a proof of, uh, of Byzantine failure and, and we, Resolve who was right, who was wrong. Yeah, or whatever. We just forget about it and move on to the next block, you know, mm-hmm. right? and settle it out even. So, uh, I mean, we saw in the Soviet Union that they took away the general decision-making latitude of the average citizen, which cost them economically. It also cost people psychologically, right? Mm-hmm. And in America, you know, you can criticize capitalism for commodifying things and people are, but this is a criticism on the left and the right that, you know, people shouldn't get drunk every night or whatever. And like uh, run up their credit cards like they should be more thoughtful. Okay, and this is what has made America great is you have a rule of law that allows people to make decisions in which an aggregate has accumulated a lot of value. Mm -hmm. Plus, there's the military conquering people and shit. But okay, you know, and that yeah factors in, but not as much (laughs) as the economic activity. I like to think so. I mean, you could say that uh, the military is like the proof of work for the dollar. Um, but I think that if we cut the military budget in half, uh, it wouldn't destroy America and it would probably, I don't think, I think the nuclear game theory that exists already has sort of locked us into a, and the economic game theory, the economic and the economic and nuclear game theory in particular, I think has locked the world into a point where we're and drones. That's going to completely change the game because then you can actually do guerrilla warfare. Well, sorry, we we saw it happen in Venezuela, right? Uh, a little bit yeah Yeah, i mean it wasn't successful but it was an attempt well we saw it in uh the first purge movie that came out last year the 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 government sent some drones out to shoot the guys when their their mercs can't get well that's what gets i mean god i wish we had enough time to jump down this we were uh talking about we were talking about facial recognition on twitter yesterday yeah yeah and like if the government can send a drone with facial recognition ai on it like oh go kill this person because they I do not like what they did. It's well, very and, th- and this is, I think this is the next phase is like having people be able to control their economic destiny is, is a good step. But then there's all this infra that's like robbing us of sovereignty in other ways. So like the Ethereum guys trying to like decentralize everything and they're, they're poking around in that direction um, may end up being useful as we distill these things because like AI in the future and like your data, like everything's going to need cryptographic checks in order for you to know that you're not getting like bamboozled by the panopticon, right? Yeah, you're not getting um, what is it? Uh, the face swap. What is it? Um, like somebody makes a video pretending. Oh, deep fakes. Deep fakes. Right. So yes. that's an example where yes. cryptography is useful. Yes. Um, and and really history in general, the ability to rewrite history is increasingly yeah, you predominant. Sign the videos you paste on Instagram with a PGP key going future going forward, like yeah, something like that. And that you know, yeah. I, I think that's a general model for keeping people in control of their lives and not uh, getting into some crazy uh, sci-fi nightmare, you know? Are you optimistic or pessimistic? I'm generally optimistic because, uh, like I said, I, I believe in the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm saying? So I think uh, there's a prevailing uh, shelling point of goodness, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, I'm kind of like John Locke in that regard. Um, I like that comparison. 
Yeah, yeah. I, th I think the problem with being conservative is that you get too pessimistic and then you bias yourself against, um, or, or it's like being bearish. Like bearishness is like economic conservatism. It's, uh... You're like, oh, this is, this is bullshit. It's overvalued. And then you miss the convex. You know, you can only lose zero, but the thing can, can go up logarithmically. I've really, uh, in the last six months, been diving into Thomas Sowell's uh, thought experiment of the constrained versus the unconstrained mind and mm. trying to find a balance between the two. is So, like, an unconstrained mind would be a Bitcoin maximalist who doesn't think you should change the protocol at all and you should be as conservative as possible. The unconstrained vision or mind would be like an Ethereum where, hey, let's do fucking everything at once. Yeah, right yeah. Here. And trying to find a balance between the two. Um, well, that's what I've tried to accomplish with trade layers, distill some of the good R&D that's been out there yeah. and, and well, applied to Bitcoin. And again, these trade-offs these trade-offs exist at different layers. So I, I, that's why I'm a Bitcoin... I'm not even... I don't know. I hate saying the term Bitcoin maximalist. That's why I'm a monetary maximalist and I believe in Bitcoin in the long run as the... It, accumulator of most of the value in these crypto in these cryptocurrency systems um and that is because at the base layer i think the un or excuse me the constrained vision is more advantageous where so you be conservative as possible you change as little as possible and you have these assurances you want assurances that it's going to do the same thing that it's done up to this point like into an unforeseen point in the future and that's that the certainty that it's going to act in that way is a very strong assurance that you can build off of. And then you can build an unconstrained sort of vision on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, like, for example, the checkpointing issue that Bitcoin has with potential reorgs, you can do checkpointing as a service like today. And then with the... Well, shout out James O'Byrne, fellow beefy Bitcoin boy. He's... Uh, What's his thing? He Well, he's just brought it up on the Bitcoin mailing list. Uh, uh, assume UTXO set, which is quasi checkpoint. Yeah. Um, well, it is a checkpoint, but it's buried 10,000 to 100,000 blocks in the blockchain. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, but, the, well, the idea is that you would have a checkpointing and the IBD would be uh, distilled down to a few minutes instead of 12 to 18 hours. And then you'd have sort of a, if you wanted to use Bitcoin and transact sort of in a timely manner, you'd have this assume UTXO function. It would give you sort of like a quasi SPV model that you mm. could use to uh, transact. And meanwhile, the whole state of the blockchain is downloading in the background over time. And once you're fully verified, um, you'll be using like a fully. Oh, just as a way to bootstrap people yes. with onboarding. Okay. Yeah. But also to solve the issues around reorg attacks and like settlement finality being uh, distorted by miners. You can like the sidechain thing I was saying is like uh, a more potentially resilient checkpointing as a service. Oh, and um, so you, yeah, so you use proof of quasi proof of stake to yeah. checkpoint. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I like that. That's I mean, it's the marriage of heaven and hell. It's the yin, the yin and the yang. Well, it's the peanut butter and the chocolate. That's it's, like it's the steak and the work. I know people don't like uh, don't like talking about shit coins on this podcast. I don't like it in particular either. But that is. Again, like we were talking about Decred earlier, that's one of their main cruxes. Like we're we're quasi. We're, well, the, the maximalist credo is we'll just uh, osmosize all the good ideas, and I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm trying to make it happen with with, with this. Well, because huh? I do think it is a good idea. You get it. You get extra assurances. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, well, I think we're officially now too drunk to keep uh, ambling on. Huh? <laughs> I think so as well. We're two hours and eleven minutes. Oh in man, what a podcast! Um, I think I learned a lot. I, th I think I did. Me too. It's uh, <laughs> I think it was it was very like all over the place, but I loved it. Yeah. Like, um, 
Patrick, do you have a parting note for the freaks out there? Yeah, so I'm about to try and roll out this test net. You know, we have a wallet up that we host. We'll have a Explorer up. And um, initially, we want to do like a QT interface. That's kind of for a niche audience, but I know y'all would, would appreciate that. Love the QT interface. Uh, we might roll out just like a trade layer D client with like a bash script. And then to launch this thing, we're going to do a node reward. So instead of just running a full node and virtue signaling about it online, you can get paid for it in a Metacoin. And I want to get, get a lot of people downloading what we publish and, and running that. So uh, I'd love to have you on board. Where can we find more information about this? Well, um, tradelayer.org is our, our main website. Um, I got layerexplorer.org and, and layerwallet. I haven't loaded those up yet, so don't, don't go to those just yet. But, Bitcoin um, Wisdom exists as well. Bitcoin Wisdom, that's right. Um, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna go public with our GitHub and have the checksum and everything, and you can download this. So um, and you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Duganus, um, and also at TradeLayer. We, we don't update that very much lately, but uh, you know that's like the brand name thing. So when we do publish this, we'll do it through these channels. Um, I think there's also a mailing list at the bottom of our website, so we'll, we'll put it out through that. Um, yeah, we'd love to have uh, the uh, true Bitcoiners come on for the the fair launch, and uh, you know get get more i mean obviously you're if you're running a full note already why not uh get paid for it basically right yeah so. well thank you for dm me thank you for coming through uh, it's been a fascinating conversation i think, yeah. we're, gonna, I think we're gonna have to have a couple more because i think we're gonna have to like dive deeper i'll come back on in 2020 and we'll see if uh we're in a panopticon yet or or if this is hopefully we're not hopefully not i yeah. don't think we will be but uh, I think this yeah. is the first of many conversations well, we're in a panopticon but like it's not that bad <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. it's not that bad it's not I feel like we we still have the power to fight back. Yeah, definitely. Um, Patrick, thank you. The again. truth will prevail. I I feel like I feel like we need to have like seven more conversations before <laughs> I fully understand you, what you're working on, and 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 how it's it's gonna. And I just from speaking with you, I think it is gonna benefit Bitcoin from like a fee pressure perspective. Yeah. But like, from the mechanics, I still need. Well, and it, and if it gets like you know blown by the wayside, and all the R and D advantages get absorbed into whatever is like sort of the block stream approved like pure BTC model, like you know, I don't have any regrets about doing what I've been doing, man. That's a, the beautiful thing about the space is you can fucking try whatever you want to, and you're putting yourself out there and trying something, and I'm fascinated to see how it's going to play out. So yeah, thank you for uh, spending a couple of drunk hours with uh, <laughs> with Uncle Marty on your trip to, to New York. I uh, hope you guys enjoy your wedding this weekend. Yeah. Well, it's not our wedding with my sisters, but yeah. Yeah, your sister's wedding. Yeah, we'll, we'll drink more then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Peace and love, freaks. <laughs>